You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Well, hello. Good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside James Montefusco and Kyle Russo here. Fellas, welcome. We are live at a special time tonight, 30 minutes ahead of schedule, a two-and-a-half-hour show, 6.30 to 9 p.m. here on Facebook Live. Give us a like, follow us, and subscribe at Review and Preview Sports. And you could subscribe to our podcast on the Anchor dot fm slash review and preview this is my 100th show as the full-time host of review and preview which i didn't know up until a week ago uh as since taking over as full-time host uh for brian i know i hosted some shows prior uh to that but i'm really excited to announce that and looking forward to spending it with you guys here tonight and our special guest kevin fitzmaurice owner of JDF Sports, who will join us at 8.30 p.m., a little less than two hours from now. So, guys, thank you both for joining me and looking forward to the show. Absolutely, Tom. Uh, congratulations on number 100, and uh, let's go for 100 or more. Yeah. <laughs> James? Tom, uh, thank you for letting us be part of it. Um, you know, the journey of you being on it and adding me and Kyle, and then uh, – just to see you get to 100 is a big milestone. Um, want to see 100 plus more uh, that we can do. So keep up the excellent work. Very nice. I, I knew you were going to throw something in there like that. Also, happy National Podcast Day. Um, shout out again, James and Kyle. You guys went live this morning at 9.30 a.m. with yep. your Stanley Cup Finals recap. I was very excited to watch that. And good job to the both of you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I texted Earhart thanking him for joining me this morning right before work. Um, it was it was a different time for all of us to go live on air um, at nine thirty in the morning, um, but it was good. Um, you get if you guys missed anything, uh, you can check it out on our Facebook page. It's it's up there, or it is also uploaded to our anchor page, anchor.fm slash review and preview um, for any viewers. Yeah. Um, also folks, feel free to, uh, comment, share our podcast here tonight. Um, we'll get back to you in the comments feed as soon as we can. Um, the New York Rangers, I know we're not going to talk much about hockey tonight, but they did say farewell to their longtime goaltender, 15 year veteran, Henrik Lundqvist spending 15 years with the Rangers, 11 playoff appearances, no Stanley cups, but, um, all those trips to the playoffs, all those years where he was the best goalie in the NHL. Uh, there's no other way to you know honor him than just say thank you, Hank, for everything. As a Rangers fan, this is you know a very important moment in the history of this Rangers franchise, and it is a sad day because uh, he was once a 23 year old kid from Sweden back in 2005, and now 38 years old, finally. Um, you know, it's it's just time to move on. Players don't last forever. And, you know, you could only uh, thank people so much. And, again, thank you very much, number 30. Guys, thoughts on Hank? 
Yeah, you know, back in the early 2010s, even though I'm an Islander fan, I found myself rooting for the New York Rangers just to see, you know, a milestone in New York sports and see the Rangers win a cup. I believe 2014 that would have marked that would have marked 30 years since their last cup back in 94. And that would have been an unbelievable achievement by Tom, like you said, one of the best goaltenders in all of hockey. He'll go down. He's definitely a top 10, maybe even a top five at this point. I think the only thing keeping him out of that top three is the Stanley Cup. But he's got all the awards, all the accolades, all the wins. Spent 15 years with the same team. Not a lot of goalies, not a lot of players, athletes in general have the opportunity to do that and say that they've done that. So that's a milestone and accomplishment in, in and of itself and a phenomenal career. 100%. And as you can see, the Tampa Bay Lightning did win the Stanley Cup Finals and hence my uh, Ryan McDonough uh, jersey in the background there hanging off the wall. As you can see, once a Rangers captain, always a Rangers captain. Uh, you know, great stuff, great stuff. But tonight we're going to be splitting the show up in half. We are going to talk about MLB. We're going to talk about the Mets and the Yankees, and then we will uh, take a, a look ahead into the MLB playoffs. I know one team has already advanced with a two-game sweep. That would be the Houston Astros over the Minnesota Twins. We will get to them shortly. But first, uh, the New York Metropolitans, 26-34 and 34 record in the 60-game season. Very disappointing. Tied for last place in the National League East, and they lost three of their final four games of the year to the Washington Nationals. Terrible way to end it. I know I spoke to SNY reporter Eamon McEnany on Friday. That was a very good interview. And, you know, overall, the Mets right now are in a position where they have to start over. They have a new owner, maybe not start entirely over, but they have to fix some things up heading into next year. It's basically back to the drawing board for this team. Yeah. yeah no. Oh. no, James, continue. Okay. Uh, Tom, I, I agree. You know, the uh, that interview, by the way, was great. He had some great insight on uh, the questions you did ask him and stuff. So I just want to, you know, let you know that. Um, listen, the Mets were plagued with the injury bug, with the COVID opt-out list, with players not showing up, then saying they want to go on the COVID list. Um, we also unloaded some big contracts this past weekend as well. We are no longer paying Cespedes uh, nor David Wright. So that saves us some money, I believe. Um, but it, it, it's just frustrating to see. Um, with the shortened season, we were expecting at least to do somewhat better yeah. um, than what we did produce. Um, listen, we, we're getting a new ownership once it's approved by MLB itself. Uh, Steve Cohen, he wants to bring back Sandy Alderson, which I think is a great move. Um, he drafted Michael Conforto and we've seen what he's turned into or, or is turning into. Um, I think there's a few question marks left. Uh, Tom, we did talk about this earlier in the week, uh, me and you about, uh, Todd Frazier, where does that leave him in the balance? Um, so Steve Cohen is definitely coming in at a very interesting time, um, where he has some prospects. He has some players or he has some veterans that he now needs to think about whether he should move on, keep them. Um, and you know what, see what happens next season. Yeah, totally. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. The Mets losing four out of their last five games, Michael Conforto and Dom Smith, a couple of the team standouts this year with, of course, Jacob DeGrom, 
you know, I think to piggyback off your point, I think Steve Cohen's next move should be to target guys like Trevor Bauer and JT Rail Muto. They need a new catcher. Defensively, Wilson Ramos is not the answer. And the Grom needs help in the rotation because you're not going to have Syndergaard probably for all of 2021 due to the Tommy John. And then Marcus Stroman is an unrestricted free agent. So unless you bring him back, you're left with a lot of decisions, especially now it looks like Waka and Porcello will both be walking. And I don't think Steven Matz will be here much longer either. So right now you're looking at Jacob DeGrom and David Peterson as the only two starters from this year. If you want to throw Seth Lugo in there, that's three. But looking into 2021, that's it right now. You bring back Stroman and you sign Trevor Bauer, then all of a sudden the rotation looks a little bit better. But right now, I think uh, the biggest issue is trying to plug in the right guys and who to bring in. But uh, I have a little surprise for both of you. I don't know if you were expecting this, but Jacob DeGrom has the potential to win his third National League Cy Young, back to back to back. So I'm actually going to show a graphic and – want your opinion if you think Jacob DeGrom wins this year's National League Cy Young. And here we go. So, um, as I'm sure you can see the graphic, the picture of Jake. Looking down his 2020 stats, guys, um, the first thing I see that sticks out is the strikeouts. The strikeouts uh, and the strikeouts per nine innings. 104 strikeouts in only 12 starts. The only MLB pitcher that had more um, was in the American League. He wasn't even in the National League. So DeGrom is there alone ahead in the National League. People would argue if Trevor Bauer had a 12th start, he would have outnumbered Jake. But um, look, man, almost 14 strikeouts every nine innings is pretty darn impressive. What do you guys think? Just in terms of do we we think Jake's going to win it or do we think it's impressive? Because it's definitely impressive. He does make a solid campaign for three years in a row, but – I'm going to have to go with Bauer. I'm going to have to go with Bauer. I think that game, the last couple starts that DeGrom had, kind of hurt him a little bit because he was he was averaging uh, in the ones and then brought himself up to a 2-3-8. Uh, the game against Philly didn't help. He only pitched two innings and let up, I believe, four runs. And the game against Tampa hurt him as well. Um, he definitely had a solid campaign. Those strikeout numbers are definitely going to help him. An ERA of 2.38 is no slouch. You know, you guys as Met fans, me as a baseball fan, have had the privilege of watching a guy who last year averaged, what, 1.8 as an ERA or 1.7, yeah. which is absolutely yeah. incredible. And he had a very phenomenal season this season. But I think that Trevor Bauer, again, we talk about strikeouts. Trevor Bauer finished with 100. Um, Trevor Bauer also tied for first with most complete games, along with Garrett Cole and Aaron Nola, uh, with two complete games. I think he might. I think he might win it. But Jacob DeGrom is is definitely a good number two option, no doubt about it. I, I think that he gets out of by Trevor Bauer personally, but I would definitely see it either way if it goes in DeGrom's favor. So there's no question DeGrom is the best pitcher in the National League. But this year, um, you know, it's just he didn't get the run support. And you're right. His last couple of starts weren't great. Um, they, they were really good starts, but they weren't Cy Young level starts. I believe he gave up three runs in his last start against the Nationals on Saturday. But, you know, you look at this right here, a guy who has averaged 5.6 innings pitched per start. That's not a 2020 Cy Young. I'm sorry. 
um, there's a better pitcher out there in Cincinnati right now who definitely deserves it. So I do agree with you, Kyle. Um, despite some of the impressive things he's come up with, not hitting a batter all year, his ERA was much lower until his last three to four starts. I think if he was able to keep that ERA down yep. and considering Trevor Bauer with his four losses, I think you have to give this to the Grom. Now, if it comes down to the Grom and you Darvish, I think you give it to the Grom over Darvish. Um, but it seems like it's going to be Trevor Bauer. And also Bauer had two shutouts and complete games this year. The Grom had none. That's another thing too. So, and the MLB doesn't like, they really don't like to keep giving out the same awards to the same player every single year. You have to do a lot and you have to be better than you were the previous year to get that award. And the Grom just wasn't, you know? So that's pretty much what I've got to say about that. But yeah, there's that graphic on Jake. So, folks, take a look at it. Let us know what you think in the comment section, and um, we are going to move on from this. So thank you very much, Jacob DeGrom. Uh, all that hard work into that graphic I put just two hours before we went live. Uh, but back to talking about the Mets. So David Peterson had a very promising final start. I thought I think he's your number two heading into 2020 right now, especially if they don't bring back Marcus Stroman. Peterson finished the season 6-2. and two. That was the most wins among any Mets starter. Remember, Peterson had less starts than DeGrom, too. He had fewer opportunities to win baseball games. It seemed the bats woke up more when Peterson was on the mound over DeGrom, which is no surprise because that's usually how it is. They don't hit for DeGrom. Um, but, James, as a fellow Mets fan here, uh, the doubleheader on Saturday, DeGrom still had 10 strikeouts. He he was still fanning guys, and I think that is what separates him from the rest of these elite pitchers. Again, it's just a shame that, you know, you're getting, you know, you're getting burned by a last-place team three out of the last four. No, I, I do agree, Tom. It's, it's frustrating to see DeGrom that goes out there pretty much pours his – Blood, sweat, tears, heart, and every in every pitch. I think he reached a hundred and three. Um, yeah, or a hundred and two. One, it, it was above a hundred. Let's just keep it at that. Um, and I can tell you, man, he he goes out there. He in the back of his mind, he must always prepare. He knows that the lineup's not going to give him any run support, so he has to go out there and pitch. Perfect. Phenomenal. Perfectly. Pretty much. Exactly. Um, And considering he does, he can't hit anymore. He can't do all the work himself um, because of the DH. Um, But DeGrom does show his stuff. Is it unfortunate that he hasn't made it to the postseason the last two years when he's more on the Cy Young? Yes, because that would be phenomenal. Um, Do I think he should win the Cy Young this year? I think so. But from stats and analytics it looks like trevor bauer is going to take that with those numbers right um but listen degrom every game doesn't go out there and does half-fast work no he doesn't he's a professional he's he's the reason why you guys you know competed in a lot of these games you know and if you got somewhat of a run support you know there would be a lot more wins in the win column than 26 I agree 100%. Remember something, too. The Mets had a lead in this game on Saturday, 
And you're right, James. Stats, they tell some of the story. The analytics may show us otherwise, but they don't tell the whole story. No. They don't tell you that the Grom has gotten so many no decisions where the Mets were ahead. He comes out of the game, and then the bullpen just blows the floodgates open where they, they can't get anybody out. Perfect example is on Sunday, the final game of the season, right? So the Mets lose a nail-biter Saturday 4-3 to three when the Grom's on the mound. And then you have Rick Porcello, the emotional video. Uh, after losing the nightcap, that was tough as a Mets fan to watch. You know, it seemed like he really cared about the team, but his production was not there this year. Uh, you know, it was a shame as the Mets fell 5-3 to three in the nightcap. But on Sunday, Alonzo hits two home runs. I'm thinking, oh, this is great. Way to go out with a bang. Three home runs in your last two games of the season. The pitching was nowhere to be found. I, I don't even remember who started this game, if I'm being honest with you. I know it was Seth Lugo, but um, he only lasted four outs. Inning in a third, five runs, six hits. What happens next? What happens next? Brad Brack comes in the game. Who? Brad Brack. It was, it was the most Mets fashion type of end of the season type of game possible. <laughs> Three runs did not record an out. Okay. Steven Metz, right? Hometown kid. You think at least, you know, he can put in some good work out of the bullpen? No. Gives up another three runs. Didn't last long either. So, 12 runs in the first three innings of the game. Right. Although I will give Steven Metz the benefit of the doubt. He did last three innings. The bullpen was atrocious. Dylan Batances gave up three runs in a third of an inning. And then. The only bright spot of this game, um, in my personal opinion, by the way, there is 11 walks given up by starting pitching. Oh, my. <laughs> 11 walks. Um, way what a way to do stuff. Yep. Pete Alonzo, though, the one bright spot of this game was Pete Alonzo. He got his average up from 209 to 231 in three days, finished the season with 16 home runs. Still, nice. you know, not – very good result for the Mets on Sunday as they left 17 runners on base. Uh, what is your guys' take on Pete Alonso in 2020? It was definitely a sophomore slump, but the power was still there. I, you know, we talked about this early in the season because early in the season it took him about it took him about 25, 30 games to really get back to that kind of consistency. Yeah, that first third of the season, it looked like if you watched closely from bats that he took last year the bats that he took this year, it looked like he just tried to get the ball out of the park on every single swing rather than just trying to hit the ball in general. And then it looked like as the season progressed, he kind of got that. But but at that point in time, it was, it was too late already. The Mets had lost so many games that they were practically out of this thing, you know, 45 games of the season. You know, they had a long stretch at the end because teams within the same division as them were in the same boat where they were losing. Philadelphia was losing. Miami was losing games. So they kept you know, in touch and track, but because of how they started off the season, they put themselves in such a bad position uh, to compete down the line in such a short season. But I think that, again, I'm a big believer in sophomore slump. I do believe that is a thing because that's when everybody, everybody opposing you is able to figure you out. I think a lot of pitchers were able to figure him out a lot better than they were last season, allowing 53 home runs to a rookie. But I think that he'll get back on track with obviously, you know, hopefully by next April, a full spring training, uh, March, a full spring, uh, spring training, uh, get some more time underneath his belt 
and obviously a lot more games to work with, you know, 102 less games to work with, yeah. in which that batting average could have gone up maybe another 0.5% to a two, a respectable 2.7 or a respectable 2.8 instead of finishing off with a 2.3. I want to give a quick shout out to Andy Hopper commenting on the live stream. Uh, if you didn't see it yet, I got to join him on his podcast, the brew party on, I believe that was Monday, Monday night. Yes. We had like a 90 minute interview, talked about our show, what we do, our brand and, Talked about some Giants, some NFL. So make sure to go check them out at The Brew Party. Like and subscribe to their page. Follow them on Instagram, Facebook, Russo. Do it right now. Um, <laughs> James as well, if you haven't already. Nope, uh, and, I already and, and he's a good guy. Like uh, like having him on Review and Preview. So figured I'd return the favor. So we will speak with him in the future. Um, but, yeah, so back to the Mets, guys, just to wrap them up. One word to define this 2020 New York Mets team. And I want to start with Kyle Russo. Uh, The one word that comes to mind is same because it's the same stuff year in and year out is that they fall shorthanded year in and year out. I think they have the roster. They have a roster put together, but so many things go wrong throughout the season that they wind up killing themselves. They wind up doing it to themselves, nobody else but themselves. You know, look at we talk about the run support of just the Grom. What about all the blown saves? You know, you look at a player in Edwin Diaz, we talk about start to the season. He did a complete 180. He finished the season like he performed back a couple years back when he was wearing a Seattle Mariners uniform rather than a Mets uniform. That's how he was playing towards the end of the season. If he was doing that consistently from beginning to end, you know, we could be talking about the Mets in this playoff race right now. That's how shorthanded they fell. So what's crazy too guys is that um a lot of people were picking the Mets to have a really good year and it just didn't happen I had a feeling it would happen because you know what do you expect it's the Mets uh record predictions James you were I believe no Kyle you were the closest you predicted 28 and 32 the Mets were 26 and 34 so congratulations you duped all the Mets fans Uh, on that note we are going to make fun of your Yankees now a little bit, but not really because they're in the playoffs and they did pretty darn good last night for themselves. The Yankees finished the regular season 33 and 27. The year was hindered with a lot of injuries, had a lot of guys in and out of the rotation, a lot of guys in the lineup. Although they still finished second in the American League East, their issue this year was they were unable to conquer the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, so Kyle Russo, Similar to the Mets, the Yankees also lost four out of their last five games. Uh, Seven games behind Tampa Bay to finish the regular season, earning the number five seed in the American League. DJ LeMahieu becomes the first player to win the batting title in both the American and the National League uh, since 1900, had a 364 batting average, 10 homers, 27 ribbies, 71 hits. Thoughts on DJ LeMahieu, Kyle? I mean, he's just he's just an unbelievable player. He's just an unbelievable player. And, and Brian Cashman, the job in which he's done to, to find talent. You know, this was a guy two years ago that the Yankees quietly signed to a two-year nothing deal from the Colorado Rockies. And yet this guy has 
in my personal opinion, should have been higher in voting for MVP last year and then wins the batting title this year in the AL. In two years, in just two years in the Yankees uniform, look what he's been able to accomplish. And he's also an older player, too. I believe he's 32, 33 years old. He's not, he's not a spring chicken. This is not a 25-year-old guy. You know, I hope that the Yankees, I really hope, because that's one of the biggest weaknesses is getting on base. The batting average in which he puts out there, I believe, finished off with around 370, something like that. This is a guy that any team, even the age in which he's at, will be throwing out massive amounts of dollars, too, because of just what he's been able to accomplish in these past two years. And I hope that he could furthermore continue his career in pinstripes. But, I mean, this guy's going to get some money in the offseason because of just what he's been able to accomplish in these last two years. Yeah, you're 100% right. I've got to say, he's impressed me a lot personally. Another guy who stuck out is Luke Voigt. And Luke Voigt proved himself as the home run champ of 2020, 22 home runs. And he also led in RBIs, I believe, with 52, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you're right. In just 60 games, which is fairly incredible, Kyle. How did Luke Voigt have this success in this Yankees season? Because I know in our previous shows, you have brought up the point how he was pretty much one of the few guys that were healthy, and he carried this team in particular when other players were missing. Yeah, no, exactly that. I mean, he was the only guy, I'm almost 100% positive, when you go down the list of names, he was the only guy that never got hurt. Judge, Stanton, Hicks, uh, Clint Frazier, uh, who else? Uh, LeMayhew, Glaber Torres, uh, Gary Sanchez at some points in time. He was the only guy that was healthy and present throughout the entirety of the season. And again, to be honest, during that long slump when the Yankees, the Yankees just three weeks ago weren't even the eighth seed in the AL and then managed to fight themselves back because of individual performances by Luke Voigt, which was consistently keeping them in the mix. They kind of scrapped some wins together while everybody else was trying to get healthy and back on the team. That, to me, is the caliber type of player that when we talk about MVP, that's the most valuable player because he was the only player. This Yankees team would not be in the position where they are right now one game ahead of the Indians playing later tonight in the playoffs with the number five seed. If Luke Voigt doesn't have this monster of a season, 22 home runs in 60 games, this guy was again, every three games was hitting a home run. The RBIs finished off at around 53. I believe I just checked Jose Abreu ended off at 60. He led the league, but 53 RBIs and a 280 batting average. He kept them in the mix. And that's why they're in the stance in which they are today because if he didn't, I don't even know if the Yankees would have made the playoffs. I think one thing you learned from Fonz, Kyle, was how to implement the word in the mix because that's what the Yankees were doing all year, no pun intended. Yep. Uh, James, were you surprised that the Yankees didn't win as many games that they did despite all of these injuries? Because I think there were a lot of acquisitions, not acquisitions, but players of note who struggled this year, one in particular being Gary Sanchez, who finished with just a 147 batting average. And fun fact, he didn't even start last night in the game one of the wild card series. No, Cole wanted Kratz. Uh, Higashioka. He wanted Higashioka, which is not a good sight. But continue, James. Um, I think so, Tom. I think you, um, for the Yankees organization, along with the Yankee fans, 
Um, I'm sure it was Russo, you can testify um, that it was frustrating at times to see some of these big-name players go down, that it was already a shortened season um, that was going to help Blossom. But then you have your more normal, consistent guys um, that can't produce. Um, So in that aspect, I think a lot like myself and a lot of other people were like, so these normal guys that should be producing isn't producing and then you got your studs, your star players on the injured list and still doing, still doing phenomenal work yep. because it's the next man up mentality, yep. um, which is excellent. Um, so in that sense, I see, but I also, I'm, I was expecting them to win a lot more games since it was a 60 game season. I also was expecting them to kind of crush some of these teams um, that they lost to. Yeah. Um, like the Tampa Bay Rays, that's their kryptonite. Yeah. No, it is. It you is. Know? And they um, lost a lot of – they lost a lot of head scratchers too. A lot of games to the Orioles they lost. Yeah. A decent amount of games to the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. They lost a lot of games that they, they should have been more competitive in. But, you know, the, the, the difference when all these guys got hurt you know, you look back on video or whatever, you could catch myself advocating for the fact that the Yankees have been down this road before, as we saw last season, where they had 30-plus people get hurt. At one point in the season, they had 30-plus people get hurt, and yet somehow managed to hit 307 home runs, managed to finish with over 100 wins, and managed to still compete throughout the playoffs and throughout the regular season. And I think the difference here is because you had so limited amount of games to screw up with that you weren't able to see the Yankees get to that point if necessary, because you had guys like Talkman come in, didn't play that well. You had guys like Mike Ford come in, didn't play that well. Like last season, Clint Frazier started off hot, but then kind of died down a little bit as well. You didn't have those guys step up. So you really needed your starters to come back earlier. And that's why they finished off with only 33 wins, I believe. Yeah. Speaking of starters, Garrett Cole, who was acquired in the offseason, I believe it was a nine-year contract, $324 million around that range, um, finished 7-3 with a 2.84 earned run average. That includes two complete games, one shutout, 94 strikeouts compared to 17 walks. And, um, you know, he looked real good yesterday, but we'll get to that in a few moments. Um, the Yankees ended up losing – Two out of the final three games to the Marlins, where the Marlins clinched a playoff berth on Friday night for the first time in 17 years on the four-year anniversary of Jose Fernandez's death. Um, Great sight, even if you're a Yankee fan, because this was a very emotional, uh, you know, night, considering the circumstances, and I think both teams handled it very well. And I've got to say, I'm very impressed with the Marlins, Kyle. I know the Yankees, um, you know, played them, uh, you know, I think they played them twice this year or no. Was that the only series they had against Miami? No, I think they played them earlier in the season as well. One other time. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I, mean, I was not impressed. No, not you're talking about with the Yankees, right? Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. you started Clark Schmidt on Sunday. Well, that was that was that was just that was a throwaway game. That I was guess. a throw. Right. Well, the reason why they did that is because 
the next man up was Garrett Cole, and they wanted to make sure, obviously, you have him against the Indians game one. That's why they threw out Clark Schmidt uh, for that game. Um, but listen, I, I can't knock it as well because even though they clinched a playoff spot, that is one of their top, if not the top, pitching prospect that they have. So it's not like they just threw a random guy out there. It's one of their best prospects. Threw out a random guy. Now we're going to throw out a random fact, James. Use your magical wand and let's see it. My magical wand. Here we go. <laughs> the same so, place in which land. Yep. I'll read it out loud right. for everybody. Fun fact, Marlins also clinched a playoff spot in the same place in which they last celebrated a clincher. He's talking about 2003. Yeah. Yep. So I agree. Clark Schmidt didn't look bad, but um, it was kind of what you expected in his first career start. Yeah. Who is in this playoff rotation? I've got to know because we know Cole and Tanaka are the one-two, but who in the world is after that? Is it Paxton? Um, is it Hap? Well, Paxton is done for the year. Right. Paxton is gone. Um, it's Hap at number three. At the third spot, which, again, you know, made fun of this guy a lot, but he's been a really good pitcher this year. I, I will apologize. He's been a very, very good pitcher for the Yankees and has actually contributed to a lot of the wins in which saved them and put them in this fifth playoff seed. So I apologize. Um, but Debbie Garcia is number four. He, the, Aaron Boone, I think, believes said it's almost interchangeable, the number three or number four spot right now at this point in time between J.A. Happ and Debbie Garcia. I don't think they have a reliable fifth guy at this point in time. Maybe it's Jordan Montgomery, but he's kind of played himself out of the rotation or at least atop the rotation. He might be a five at this point, maybe a four, just because Debbie Garcia is such a young player and only got brought up midway through the season. But Montgomery has just been horrible. So I don't think you could play him atop that. Uh, I think he has to move down into the bottom of the rotation, but that's your five. It's Cole, Tanaka, Hap, Debbie Garcia, and Montgomery as far as I'm concerned, which is not bad. No, it's not. But it's not, it's not great either, considering what they could have had, you know, regarding injury, disregarding injury. I got to say that's pretty decent, though. No, it, listen, it's decent, but it's also inexperienced. Montgomery missed all of last year. Debbie Garcia, this is his first year. And J.A. Hap, this is really his first good season since – being acquired by the Yankees. So not that much reliableness after that one-two option of Tanaka and Cole. So um, let's get into the playoff series. Game one was last night. The Yankees won. They're playing against the Cleveland Indians, where the winner will play the winner of Tampa Bay versus Toronto in the ALDS out in San Diego. Garrett Cole against Shane Bieber. Bieber coming into this game 8-1 on the year. Low ERA, who is pretty much the unconfirmed American League Cy Young winner. Oh, yeah. Oh, Uh, yeah. Bieber captured the American League Triple Crown. First American League pitcher to accomplish this since Johan Santana. Mm -hmm. Bieber started 12 games, 8 wins, 122 strikeouts, and which all led the MLB. Uh, but last night it was it was not good. Uh, we saw what happened. The Yankees just blew up their offense. I, I am not surprised by any means. Uh, 
12 to three win. Cole was great on the mound, six innings pitched with 13 strikeouts, two run baseball. And then Shane Bieber was the complete opposite. Uh, four and two thirds, seven runs, nine hits. He did have seven strikeouts, but the two home runs, one to judge, and then one later on to Glaber. Kyle Russo, overall thoughts on this game? You know, going into this game, I had faith that the Yankees were going to come out victorious. I think they're going to win the series. I don't, I don't really think there was a lot of doubt in other people's minds as well. Um, just, you know, the bats, the one through nine when they're healthy are just virtually unbeatable. Because now, again, they're all healthy now. You know, that's something that they haven't had all season long. They're all healthy. They've all had the time to recover. They've been rested for this playoff sense and term. So I think that makes them a very scary team. Did I expect them to do what they did to Shane Bieber last night? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They embarrassed. They embarrassed him. And Cleveland, granted, they don't have a good record the last 20 years of playoff victories. They're not very good in the playoffs in terms of the last 10, 15, 20 years. But something along those lines, this is the Cy Young right here. And not only this is the Cy Young, but Garrett Cole, in a sense, Garrett Cole has been fantastic for the Yankees all season. But almost has a coming out party, sets a Yankee record. I believe he stands number two. Um, I forgot who it's behind. But 13 strikeouts in a playoff game is the second most by any Yankee in history. This is your ace. This is your $300 million man, and that's what he does in his first playoff appearance in a New York Yankees uniform? I mean, this game was was the icing on the cake, was was the whipped cream on the ice and the cherry on top. This game, everybody clicked on all cylinders for the first time all season long. And this is the playoffs when you want that to be happening. And Cleveland is no slouch of a team. They put together a great season. They have some great pitchers. You would think they let go of Corey Kluber. They let go of Mike Clevenger. They still have Zach Plesak, who I believe is starting, is not starting tonight, but will start a game three if game needed. He had a great season. Carlos Carrasco is a great pitcher. Mike Clevenger is a great, uh, Mike Clevenger. Um, Shane Bieber is the AL, is the AL uh, Cy Young Award winner, hands down. It's not going to go to anybody else, 100% him. And they embarrass this team. Yeah. They embarrass them. No match at all. But the Indians, they were 35 and 25 in the regular season. Judge hit a dinger early, followed by Torres, followed by Brett Gardner, followed by John Carlos Stanton. Um, Glaber and Gardner each had three ribbies. We knew Miguel and Duhar. He hasn't played since the middle of August. We knew he wouldn't be on this roster. The Yankees were just overall dominant. And then game two is on their way. It is Masahiro Tanaka against Carlos Carrasco. And I think this is also Edge Yankees. Remember, th- this win tonight would put them in the ALDS. Tanaka has a 1.76 career ERA in the playoffs dating back to 2015. It's just something about this guy. It's unbelievable. It's hot and cold in the regular season, but once the playoffs come along, you don't, you just do not want to face him. I don't know what it is. How about you try to explain to us what it is, Kyle, about Masahiro Tanaka that I just can't figure out? It's He's a, he's a special player. Is that you see, uh, not amongst all athletes, but amongst some, they, they're quiet during the regular season. You know, we see that in basketball. We talked about it on this show, how the bubble has brought out, you know, stars and just you know people to look out for and watch coming next season because of what they've been able to do in this playoff performance. 
how they brought themselves to this next level of play. And that's just what Masahiro Tanaka has been. He's never been a guy that's going to lead the league in strikeouts. He's never been a guy that's going to lead the league in lowest ERA. He's never been a name tossed into the ring for Cy Young. But come the playoffs, he fills all those categories. Yeah, This guy has been an automatic win as long as he gets some run support, which with the New York Yankees organization, he's been able to do easily. And that's just the – that's just what makes – that's what this is a moment type of player where you show up in the big moment is not scared of the big moment. And that's why he's been with this New York Yankees team. That's why the salary in which he has is as big as it is because you get paid for what you do in the clutch in the playoff time. And this is what this guy is. He's a playoff player. That's who he is. Well, thank you. Happy to have him on my team. Happy to have him on my team. Let's predict this series. I have the Yankees winning in two tonight. They're going to advance to the ALDS. There's no way around that. James, I want to hear from you. Do you think the same? I think the same. I mean, the Yankees just looked too powerful last night. I'm sure they'll come out as powerful tonight, if not maybe a little dulled down, but still take the W. Um, I don't see it going to three games. The Yankees probably don't want to see it three games. Actually, delayed start right now. I don't. I don't know what's happening in Cleveland, but it's a delayed start um, for that game. So we'll see what happens with that. Interesting. And this actually just in, James. I know you texted us a couple minutes ago. From what we're hearing on ESPN, is that um, the MLB will allow fans at the NLCS and the World Series. The league will make eleven thousand five hundred tickets available for each game at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. So. Not for the ALCS, just the NL right now? I didn't see anything for the NL. Um, let me just – I can reread the article real fast to, just to make sure um, I ain't miss it by accident. You don't have um, to reread it, but uh, – Yeah, no, it's, it's just the NL. They didn't say anything just the for NL. the NL. Okay. Also, this just then, it is raining in Cleveland. Oh, my bad, Delayed start. Yep. Yeah, so. Yeah, just the NL go. right now. Thank you, Henry. Appreciate it. I hope you're ready for Big Blue Avenue tomorrow. We're going to need you. Uh, you know, we're going to need you up early, six o'clock in the morning. You and me, uh, thirteen hours of prep. Anyway, uh, no, we're pretty much done. But um, Tampa Bay and Toronto, a one versus eight game. One, Tampa Bay wins three to one. Blake Snell was very impressive, five and two thirds, no runs, just one hit, uh, nine strikeouts, and Blake Snell. And that Tampa Bay rotation is a big part of the reason why I think they're going to go far in these playoffs. I think them and the Yankees in round two will be an intense matchup that could potentially go five games. Um, Margot had a two run shot last night um, in the seventh off of, I believe, AJ Cole. And then the Blue Jays, Missed opportunities. This is a young team in the playoffs. They haven't been here in a while. Left 12 runners on base. Uh, just not good stuff. And then Hinjin Ryu got bombed. Um, yeah, tonight he got pulled in an inning and two-thirds. Let up seven runs. Yeah. So against Tyler Glass now, seven runs in just an inning and two-thirds. The Rays, the last I saw they were up eight to one i don't know if we have a live update are they still up eight to one uh up eight to two and i believe the game is over actually okay so 
Tampa Bay will advance. Toronto has been eliminated, so we'll put them with the Minnesota Twins. Um, Tyler Glass now. I know he was doing pretty all right through the first few innings. Mike Zanino with a two-run shot in the second, and then Hunter Renfro with a grand slam in this game today that made the score 7-0. Tampa scored six runs in the second inning. It is hot. It is flaming down south right now in Tampa Bay. All Tampa Bay sports teams seem to be performing well. Uh, the Lightning just won the Cup. The Rays advanced. The Bucks got Tom Brady and Gronk living a high life right now. Man, it must be fun to be in Tampa Bay. It really it must, must be. be. Now, yeah. I got a quick question for you guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, was Tampa Bay um, the, the series, was it, in, was it in Tampa Bay or was it up in Buffalo, New York? It was in Tampa. Because they got home field advantage. Yeah. Okay. No, no, that's what I, I, I just wanted to confirm that um, just in case some of our other viewers didn't know that. I'm sorry. But Hinge and Ryu, that is beyond disappointing. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, this guy was a Cy Young candidate two years ago, and now he's. Last year. Last year, yep. Last year, yeah. He's in the dumpster fire now in Toronto. But uh, they have good young core players up there. Teoscar Hernandez. Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, Randall Greichuk. So they have guys. I'm not too worried. Uh, although when it does go back to the traditional playoff format, I do think it's going to take them another year or two to get back. Um, another series we want to look at is the Oakland A's and the Chicago White Sox. I believe that series is now tied at one because the A's won game two. Yep. Chicago, yes. first time in the playoffs since 2008, which is pretty darn impressive. That's just three years removed from when they won the World Series in 05. The White Sox were the seventh seed, and the Athletics are the second seed, but only one game separates them in record, which is crazy to just even think about. Uh, Chicago wins game one, 4-1. to one. Lucas Giolito was fantastic, seven strong, just one run, two hits, eight strikeouts. This guy has been a gem for Chicago this year. I believe Engel had the first home run of the postseason, actually. Him and uh, Jose Abreu, who's been a really nice, good young stud for them, and then Yasmani Grandal as well. Those three all going deep in this game, Kyle. I, I really like what I see from this young Chicago White Sox team as Lazaro really struggled yesterday, giving up those two home runs. The A's only had three hits as a team to support them. But I think this game is more about how good young and up and coming the Chicago team is. And they're going to give the A's a run for their money. Yeah, no doubt. They, they, they're stacked from their pitching rotation to their batters. You know, we talked about, well, I said earlier in the season, I said, watch out for the Chicago White Sox because they have, all young and fantastic talent from uh, Luis Robert, Jose Abreu, uh, McCann, the catcher. They just signed Yasmani Grandal in the offseason. Um, I believe he even played DH in this game just so they could put McCann in the lineup. Yeah. Uh, they have Yon Makata. They have Tim Anderson, who last year, I believe, won the batting title and then competed this year again for it. Um, assigning Dallas Keuchel in the offseason as well. He pitched tonight. Uh earlier today and Lucas Giolito I believe in this game Tom and correct me if I'm wrong but he he was running like a no hitter I believe through six seven innings yes he was so yeah. he, he had a no hitter earlier this year yeah 
he's he's a fantastic young pitcher. And then they have also Alex Colome, who I believe um, one of the best closers in all of baseball. I believe he had the lowest ERA of anybody at like a point eight this year. Now that's a fun fact. Yeah. yeah. So he's they have a great young team that will be competitive for a long time. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how that pans out. Um, game two today, Chris Bassett against Dallas Keuchel. Keuchel was very disappointing. Only lasted three and a third, five on six hits, got shelled twice. Um, and then Chris Bassett was much more impressive. Seven strong, no runs, six hits. He's not going to, he's not a pitcher that strikes a lot of guys out guys, but he knows how to be productive and get players out. Um, and now the A's tie this back 1-1. I think the A's will probably win game three tomorrow, if I'm being real here. Uh, I just think they were so close last year. It's hard not to pick them, as where so far we've seen an inexperienced team like Toronto bow out in two. I think it's going to be a little different story for Chicago, bringing it to game three. But I think the A's are just going to pull it out. Uh, look, the A's led 5 nothing today in the eighth inning. Chicago was unable to, uh, you know, conquer Chris Bassett. They couldn't figure him out. The bullpen didn't give up anything really either. Uh, when you have guys like Marcus Simeon and Chris Davis, even without Matt Chapman, this team is still very fierce, and they must be watched in these American League playoffs. Yeah, they've been, they've been a very experienced team as well. Mark Kanan has been on the team for a while. Uh, Stephen Biscotti as well. Uh, Chris Davis, as you alluded to earlier, um, this team has been put together. I believe they acquired Tommy Lestello in the offseason, or they may have yeah. acquired him at the deadline. He's a great player as well for them. Uh, they they have a solid, nice together put team. Do do we know the pitching staff for tomorrow? Do we know who's starting by either the White Sox or the uh, Oakland A's tomorrow? See. I'm looking at White Sox. Uh, no, as of right now, it's to still two BD. TBD. To be determined. Yep. To be determined. Um, I'm going to favor the White Sox in this. I, I really love their one through nine. They could all hit. They could all get on base. Um, I'm going to go with them. I like their closing options better, too, as well. Uh, I'm going to go with Chicago in the series. A's, baby. He just doesn't want to see them later on in the playoffs. It's exactly oh, they, won't, what it is. they don't have to see them for a very, very long time. They don't have to see them for a long time unless they – uh, matchup in the NLCS. The, the Yankees don't match up well against two teams, Tampa and Oakland. And those are the two yeah. things Kyle Russo does not <laughs> want to see in these playoffs. And yeah. I hope they are two of the four teams re- remaining. Not that I want them to beat the Yankees, but just to scare them a little bit. Just, just to, yeah. you know, just, you know, just to force an extra couple games that are unnecessary to mess with the pitching rotation further down the line. You're having a little too much fun right now with the Miami Heat. So, uh, you know, I had to throw <laughs> that in there. And uh, I can't let me win on all my sports cylinders. Can't throw out the punching bag there. Uh, we'll exactly. Go, we'll go nine rounds tonight. Um, okay. So, the other series, Houston Astros take the Twins down in two games. The Astros finished with a final record of 29-31. and 31. I believe it took them until Sunday to clinch a playoff spot. I they were the sixth yeah. seed in the American League, dealing off against the Twins, who were the three seed, 36-24. and 24. They won the Central. The Astros await the winner of the A's and the White Sox whoever advanced to the ALDS. Um, Hank has another comment for you. Let's see. Right now. 
look on the bright side, Kyle. We don't have to play in the circus tent. <laughs> well, Hank, we will if the Yankees advance, right? They will, I believe, right? If the Yankees advance and go on to play Tampa, I don't believe that it becomes a, a, a bubble sense of scenario until they make it to some of the final rounds. I do believe they'll wind up having to play in, uh, in Tropicana, Stadium, uh, Tropicana Field at some point, but that's also a place to never play well at. But uh, <laughs> hopefully that's not the case. I could be wrong. Uh, hopefully that's not the case, though. Because that is not a uh, that is not a fun stadium to be at as a fan. I've had the opportunity to do that. It's not a very exciting stadium. Um, let alone, it's not very fun for Yankees players as well because they never seem to have any success in there, whether it's the bats or the pitchers. Uh, Hank, if you'd like to retort on that comment, by all means, because I like where this discussion is headed. Anyway, um, <laughs> game one, Houston wins four to one. The Astros had a three run ninth inning. The game was tied at one. And they were able to take advantage off of Sergio Romo. Houston yeah. only used two pitchers in this game. Zach Granke went four innings. Valdez went five, no runs, and two hits. Uh, Maeda was not very good for the Twins. I'm sorry, he was good, but he didn't last very long. Uh, they would be in San Diego. Fun fact. So right. uh, I could deal with that. That's a small ball, uh, small ballpark. Hold your horse. It's gonna be it's gonna that's be a fun one if it happens, man. I know that's what uh, my buddy JC is hoping for. He wants the Yankees A's, I'm sure. So try try to get some. Oh man, can you imagine Yankees Houston? Oh man, again, again. That would be a 2020 thing to happen. Yankees yeah. Astros, just the same thing as last year. Anyway, um, Minnesota was up one nothing early. In this game, I just don't know what happened. I know Josh Donaldson, he was left off the roster due to a calf injury. That hurt them a little bit lineup-wise. Um, but, look, Minnesota just – they were unable to hold a lead, and Houston just took advantage of it. The same thing today. Yeah, You only score one run in each game. You're not going to win. You don't belong in these playoffs. And Minnesota yeah. proved why they didn't, Kyle. Um, Jose Berrios was decent. But, again, only lasted five innings. Uh, Correa with, I believe he had a home run, and then Kyle Tucker with a two-run single in the seventh inning. That was it. That's all Houston needed to advance. Kyle Tucker, I'm pretty sure he's a rookie, if I'm not mistaken, only 23 years old. I believe he came up last year a little bit or maybe even the year before that because I've heard that name a lot yeah. um, as of recent. But Minnesota, just in this series, they're another team that historically, I believe that's 18 18- uh, eight. That's their 18th in a row postseason loss. I, I I could be mistaken with that fact, but I saw something along those lines with the Minnesota Twins. They're not a good playoff team. And between these two games, a combined seven hits in two games by the Twins, that's not a recipe for success in a playoff scenario, let alone a, you know, a best-of-three series in which you only have two games and your entire season's on the line. Their pitch, Kente Mahata is a good pitcher. He had a great outing. He, he got up in the high 90s. I don't know why Barrios was pulled as early as he was pulled. He'd only reached 75 pitches through five innings. That was interesting to see him get pulled when they did. But it is what it is now. It is what it, it is. It is what it is. The saying that every woman hates. Anyway, um, Kyle Tucker did come up in 2018 when he was 21, but he only appeared in 28 games. 2019, same thing. He spent majority of the season in the minor leagues. 
only played 22 games. So this was really his first full season up in the big leagues, but you're right. He did make appearances a couple of years before. And Hank, another fun fact, um, Oakland hasn't won a game seven elimination game since 1973. Not sure I necessarily trust them tomorrow. Hank, um, if history has taught me anything, it's taught me uh, not to go with you on your NFL quick pick, taking the Cincinnati Bengals over the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, all fun and jokes right there. No, I'm kidding. I'm actually happy. i <laughs> just throwing some uh, fake salt right there. I'm actually happy I picked the Bengals uh, this week against Philadelphia. I'd rather have a Bengals tie than an Eagles tie. That was just awful for Philly. But uh, We'll touch anyway, upon that soon. I got Hank to – I convinced Hank – to switch and he got a win out of it. I got a tie. So I'm still looking for that win, Hank. Um, but yeah, hopefully the A's are able to pull it out, but I wouldn't be surprised if Chicago does as well. Um, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be absolutely insane. What uh, pans out. We know who two of the teams are already moving on Tampa Bay and Houston. We will wait and see if the Yankees can do it tonight and who between the White Sox and the A's will do it tomorrow. So National League, the Dodgers and the Milwaukee Brewers will play game one tonight. Walker Buehler is on the mound against Brent Suter, 10.08 p.m. Eastern time. Huge advantage Dodgers right here. Uh, They finished 43-17, and best record in the National League. And the Milwaukee Brewers made it by the skin of their teeth, beating out teams like the San Francisco Giants and Philadelphia Phillies over the last couple of games. They were 29-31. and 31. Uh, We don't really have much to go off right now on this series, but what are your general thoughts? I'm going to go out and say the Dodgers in two. I would say the same thing, but Milwaukee was that team last year that, you know, they didn't go, again, that one play in the outfield in the eighth inning cost them cost them uh, an entire playoff run and led the nationals all the way but the year prior in which they went one game away from the world series i believe that matchup was against the dodgers as well uh when they faced them so they they do play this team well they have a history with this team it'll definitely be competitive because the brewers do have you know good players on this team but the dodd it's it's so tough because clayton kershaw is not a good playoff pitcher he's notoriously a terrible playoff pitcher I'm, I'm, I'll go with the Dodgers in three. Uh, I think Milwaukee gets a game. I'll go with the Dodgers in three. James. Uh, so I've been tossing it around while both of you have been talking. Uh, I'm going to go with Milwaukee in three. Okay. Wow. Look at that. I You know, I think they know I, it too because Kershaw is pitching. He's not pitching game one. He's pitching game two. So they have that same type of mindset where we got to get up, we got to get up one game in this series because we don't necessarily trust Clayton in the playoffs. Well, we will see what happens. That's an interesting yeah. pick there, James. If it comes true, you will be rewarded on next week's show. Um, All right. Moving on, the Atlanta Braves and the Cincinnati Reds went 13 innings today. This was the longest game um, without a run being scored. No runs were scored through 12 innings. Um, it was the third longest game in Braves postseason history. Trevor Bauer against Max Fried on the mound. Big part of the reason why. Two studs. Uh, first time ever, like I said, no runs scored through 12 innings. The Braves were the two seed. The Reds are the seven seed. 
finished a couple of games over 500. Trevor Bauer on the mound for Cincinnati, the National League Cy Young. We might as well call him the favorite at this point. Yep, yep. He went seven and two thirds, no runs, two hits, 12 strikeouts. That's what I'm talking about. Those are Cy Young numbers right there. Yep. Uh, Max Fried, on the other hand, he also went seven strong, no runs, six hits, five strikeouts. Still very good, but not as sweet as Bauer. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched this game. Cincinnati had all the opportunity in the world to put some runs on the board. I believe it was the the top of the 12th inning, and Cincinnati had two guys in scoring position with only one out. Um Went down to the third batter on the line. Mike Moustakis strikes out, and then Atlanta gets the opportunity in the bottom of the thirteenth, and just not, just not good. Not not a good, especially a wasted game like that by Trevor Bauer. You know, we talk about having a perfect game, complete type of game, and getting zero, literally zero run support whatsoever with a performance like that it takes a toll on the team. But they will play tomorrow at twelve o'clock to try to fight back in this series. Freddie Freeman had the game-winning RBI in the bottom of the 13th off Archie Bradley. Game two tomorrow, Reds will be facing elimination. I think the Reds will bring it to a game three, and I think the Reds will win in three. I don't care what people think. Atlanta's going down because Tom Scavetta said so. What do you guys <laughs> think? <laughs> All right. Um, I, I still think Atlanta's going to win. Uh and I say Atlanta's going to win. I, I do think that Cincinnati has a good chance to win tomorrow. Uh, Luis Castillo is not a bad pitcher. I don't believe that Atlanta has chosen their pitcher for tomorrow yet. I believe that's uh, to, to, be ter- uh, to be determined as well. But in a Game 3 situation, Sonny Gray, uh, Sonny Gray had such a great start to the season that it really fell off. I believe he lost almost every single game in the month of August in which he started. Um, and I don't trust him in that case scenario. So I'm going to have to go with... I'm going to put Atlanta in three. I don't believe they close it out tomorrow. I'm going to have to go with Tom. <laughs> because James Montefusco said so. James Montefusco and so did Tom Scavetta said so. So Well, if I piggyback off that point, Kyle Earhart has the Reds going to the World Series to play against the Yankees. That would be a nice matchup. That would be a cool matchup. It would. I wouldn't mind that. I'm sure you wouldn't, especially, you know, when it turns out the uh, opposite way. <laughs> I know I'd, I'd cry a little bit if that happened, but it'd be definitely a fun matchup. You have two amazing pitchers, Cole versus Trevor Bauer. That'd be an awesome matchup to watch. I would agree 100 percent. It's going to be interesting if Atlanta can, you know, fight off these Reds. They've been hot. Um, OK, the number three seed, Chicago Cubs, going against the number six seed, Miami Marlins, who we talked about briefly in the previous segment. Marlins finished above 500, back in the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. It's been a while, since 2003. And fun fact, the Marlins have never lost a postseason series. The two times they made the playoffs were 1997 and 2003. Both times won the World Series. Um, hmm. On that note, the Marlins did win game one. Sandy Alcantara against Kyle Hendricks. Hendricks was okay. Pitched six and a third. Gave up three runs. But Alcantara, holy smokes. 
six and two thirds, one run, three hits. This guy was good today. Uh, you know, he's been the Marlins top guy all year, in my opinion. So, but it wasn't the young studs. It was the veterans. Miami has veterans on their team. They acquired Corey Dickerson at the deadline. They have Jesus Aguilar now, former uh, Milwaukee Brewer. In the seventh inning, the Marlins are down one nothing. right? Mm-hmm. They score five runs. Dickerson, a two-run shot, had three RBIs in this game, and then Jesus Aguilar with a two-run home run. The veterans right there. You talk about how this Marlins team is very youthful. They had the coronavirus outbreak early on in the year. They've overcame all that. We thought they were going to slow down, especially after that. They never did. Um, well, maybe a little bit. They digressed, but they were still able to do enough to make the playoffs in an eight-team format, and they probably took the spot that should have gone to a team like the New York Mets, James. Yeah. It's actually kind of funny when you think about it because the reason why the Marlins really made a push, the reason why the Marlins really made a push is because they acquired Starling Marte. With the Mets, that, that that name was in that organization for about the last year now before the Marlins made a deadline acquisition for him uh, from the Diamondbacks, I believe it was. He really he really helped them in the second half of their season kind of make that push. But I like the Marlins in this series. They uh, they start 6-0 Sanchez tomorrow against Hugh Darvish, another, another uh, Cy Young candidate. So that should be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Marte looked good today. Yeah. Looked good. He had a he had a uh, pair of hits. Uh, James, I'm going to start with you. Who do you got? Uh, Marlins. Okay. Kyle Russo. I'm going to go with the Marlins. Ride that streak of never losing a postseason uh, uh, playoff series. I'm going to ride that. Yeah. We have we we I know we have Cub fans watching our show. Every single week, we are in a Chicago Cubs baseball group. Yet, um, the host will be siding with the rest of his team with the Miami Marlins. It's going to happen. They're going to upset the Cubs. I can see it. You Darvish is on the mound tomorrow. He had he's been really good all year, but he has those head scratcher starts. I see one of them coming tomorrow, and the Miami Marlins will advance to round two. They will take on the winner of the Braves. Well, whoever comes out of this obviously will take yes. up the winner of the Braves and the Reds. So I just want to do a quick fun fact, uh, if people didn't know, but the Cubs were the only team in MLB not to report a player that had a COVID case or a COVID positive test. They've been healthy all year. Yeah. So Very interesting. A little fun fact there um, that many people don't know of. Let's go over our final series in the wild card round. It is the number four San Diego Padres, a team a lot of people like in the National League team, going up against the fifth seed St. Louis Cardinals, who well, finished good right now over five hundred. That game, I believe, is still in progress. I want to say top, top of the six. Six uh, Cardinals are winning six to three, and I'm trying to figure out. Uh, St. Louis has bases loaded. With two outs, um, I'm not sure if my app hasn't updated yet, if that still stands or not. But if still stands, okay. Um, Chris Paddock on the mound against Quang Hoon Kim, and uh, Paddock did not look good 
today early on. The Cardinals got out to a 4-1 to lead. Go, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, two-run shot, laser, and then that was followed by RBIs from, again, your yearly veterans, Mr. Reliable Yadier Molina, who continues to feast with his bat. He's been in the league for about 15 years now, and he still produces at a high level. And then you look at a guy like Matt Carpenter, who had a RBI in that game as well. Cardinals are looking real good. Who do we got here in this series? I think it's going to be the Padres in three games. The reason why, I'm not very impressed with the Cardinals right now. I know they're winning this game, but when I was on the brew party with Andy Hopper the other night, that's his team, and he's not very confident in them. That kind of swayed me in my decision a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I'm going going Padres. I'm going to go with the St. Louis Cardinals. I think that they wind up closing this game out potentially tonight. Obviously, though, it's only in the top of the six, and I think they wind up winning tomorrow as well. I think that losing Mike Clevenger really hurts them a lot in their pitching rotation. I know that they have Zach Davies starting tomorrow, who's been a great pitcher for them as well. But this is another team that we talk about young and inexperienced versus a St. Louis Cardinals team who was competing last year, you know, games away from being in the World Series as well. Um, so I, I, I think that we're going to wind up seeing the Cardinals close out. James? Going with Russo as well, the cards. Yeah, they're, they're very um, – it's very what's the word I'm looking for? It's close. It's a close. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's very um, not intimidating, but I feel like I want to pick them is what I'm trying to say. But I just something tells me the Padres, you know, you would think you'd pick the experienced team who's been in the playoffs. But I don't know. Something tells me the Padres. But anyway, um, so while we're here. And before we wrap up our baseball segment, let's um, let's make our World Series predictions from the teams that are currently left. Um, I said it on the Brew Party Monday night. I believe I went the Los Angeles Dodgers out of the National League, and then the American League, I picked Tampa Bay. Um, and I think, I personally think Tampa Bay is going to win the World Series over the Dodgers. Sorry. Uh, that's my pick. I'm going to throw it all the way back to 1981. Dodgers versus the Yankees. And the Yankees will win the World Series this year. I'm going to stick with that. I think I said that in the beginning of the season as well. So I'm going to stay with that because it's still possible. Um. Uh, it's just so many teams right now. Going off the cusp here, James. I am going to say St. Louis. I like it. And they're coming out of the... And then... I just want to make sure I'm not going to sound like an idiot and pick two teams within the same... No, okay. St. Louis and um, Tampa Bay. All right. Uh... St. Louis. Man. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, James. Man, you, first we got. Uh, That's one on the left field right there. Yeah. St. Louis. Yeah. 
All right. So those are our picks for the World Series, folks. Uh, quick reminder, Kevin Fitzmaurice, JDF Sports owner, will be joining the show at 8.30 p.m. You're not going to want to miss that. Make sure you are here. Yes, James. Yep. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm excited. The interview is going to feature a lot of NFL talk, New England Patriots talk, fantasy football, um, and a little bit about JDF. So let's move on. We're going to go over our team of the week early tonight. Block D. Who do you guys got for your team of the week? And I, I want to start with Kyle Russo because I've been so anxious to hear your decision on this all week. I know. I think I have an idea, but I, I want to hear. I wonder who it is. All right, it's the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat, guys. <laughs> the Miami Heat are back in the NBA Finals. First time since 2014. I could go on a rant, but I'm going to have a basketball thing up for you guys tomorrow night after the Big Blue Avenue where I could solely uh, let all that energy out and, and speech about some NBA Finals basketball tomorrow night. But the Miami Heat back in the NBA Finals, my team of the week, beating the Boston Celtics in, a, in an unbelievable feat. Um, that's my team of the week, guys. Uh, not really a surprise. I don't all these all these discussions of I wonder who it is. Who else would it be? James, you are next. All right, Russo, I thought you were going to go pick the New York Mets, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, the most consistent team in baseball. Yes. Uh, no, uh, to get back on track, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. They were phenomenal this hockey season. Uh, you guys can go listen to that from this morning. Uh, but from playing probably one of the longest games in Stanley Cup playoff history with five OTs and continue the OT stretch throughout the rest of their series to come up with the win against the Dallas Stars. Uh, that is my team of the week. Interesting pick there, James. I do agree. The Tampa Bay Lightning had a really good playoff run. Great storyline, too. Shout out my man Ryan, Ryan McDonough back there. Um, had to bring that up because, you know, the Lightning win their first Stanley Cup since 2004, and it's great to see Ryan McDonough hoist it up. Um, you know, for me, this is tough, but I'm going to go with a wild card here. I'm going to say the Mississippi State football team for upsetting number six LSU, 44-34. Quarterback K.J. Costello had 623 passing yards, folks, and five touchdown passes, not to mention, guys, Three of his wideouts had over 120 receiving yards. What more would you want? Absolutely fried that LSU defense. Sorry, uh, LSU fans, but I was very happy about that as a Notre Dame fan. That helped us get into the top five this week. So, Oh, by the way, Notre Dame football has currently the longest winning streak in college football at eight games. Hmm. Although they didn't play last week, uh, the, they had a COVID issue. So eight players tested positive, or no, might have been up to eighteen. It was I'm eighteen, sure. yeah, it was, was eighteen. And um, yeah, so they could not play Wake Forest. But good to see them in the ACC this year. And in honor of Team of the Week this week, uh, you know, I'm glad I guessed right because I just want to show this up here, um, Kyle. It's a stud right there. It looks like you a little bit, Sheen. Uh, you know what it does? Does it? Take I don't off know. without on. the glasses. Sheen is old enough to remember Jimmy Neutron. Oh my god, I love that show. Every every Saturday morning, get up early in the morning, watch some Nickelodeon, some Jimmy Neutron. 
Sheen was a shooter, just like Duncan is. <laughs> Facts. All right, Very guys. true. Enough harping on that. But anyway, um, maybe I was just trying to stall because we got the Giants up next. But uh, That's the fun talk. You don't want to stall on that. So, everybody, the New York football Giants lose to the San Francisco 49ers 36-9. to uh, <laughs> First time being 0-3 since 2017. Oh, didn't we have uh, McAdoo as a coach in 2017? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Quick storyline of this game before we get into the our analysis. Uh, so the Giants were outscored 20-3 to in the second half. The 49ers were without 13 players on Sunday. Those players include the following. Three starting defensive linemen in Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas, who both tore their ACL and are out for the season, not to mention D. Ford the third offensive lineman that did not play in Sunday's game. Uh, We also look on that defense. Both of their regular starting cornerbacks were out in Richard Sherman, who is starting to come off short-term IR and Akella Witherspoon, who was a game time decision and was ruled out last minute. Um, You don't have enough fingers, man. You don't have enough fingers. I'm going to have you put up your fingers. All right. All right. I'll start. So let's get to the offense now. Why don't we? Um, <laughs> this is not going to be fun. Starting quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo did not play, had the, had the high ankle sprain. Starting running back Raheem Mostert and backup running back Tevin Coleman. Starting tight end George Kittle. Starting wide receiver, number one wide receiver, Debo Samuel. Oh, and another fun fact, backup tight end Jordan Reed left the game in the third quarter with a knee injury. He will miss six to eight weeks. And the Giants couldn't even score double-digit points. Tough, man. Tough. Uh, It looked promising a little bit early on. Three of the first four drives in the first quarter, they resulted in field goals. We were down six to three, then we tied it six to six. Thanks yeah. to Grant Gano's leg. Uh, San Francisco missed a field goal to start the second quarter. But then the 12-play drive happened where Jarek McKinnon, the 10-yard touchdown rush, Kyle Russo, um, the 10-yard touchdown rush to McKinnon. And then right after that, the Daniel Jones interception to Fred Warner. Terrible, right, terrible, terrible. Right in his hands. Right, It wasn't even between the numbers. It, it wasn't even close to, to being an accurate pass. Oh God! You're not wrong. I don't I, listen. He's not the Giants. No. The Giants. The Giants. What was it now? Three years ago. Three years ago. The Giants yeah. had the worst season of their entire franchise history of three and thirteen. I believe it was. You know, and I. Uh, you guys know me. I, I try to be as real, realistic as possible, and I always hope to be as optimistic as possible. The Giants have the opportunity to be in that same boat, or potentially be worse than that. I have never seen such a crushing defeat where it looks like they didn't even it didn't even look like they tried in this game. Two of the touchdowns in which the 49ers had, nobody even touched them on the defensive side of the ball. No. You had you had Jeff Wilson just walk into the end zone, a Giants defending and touch him, and Brandon Ayuk, the rookie, only in only his second game, torched you and didn't even touch him. Didn't even touch him. Nick Mullins hasn't thrown a pass since 2017 and threw for 343 yards somehow. 
How? 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 Our secondary. Our defense. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I thought the defense was pretty okay, especially in that first half, guys. Uh, no. With well, how the, first- the offense was, uh, it was 16-6 to six at halftime. Remember, they held a field goal after that Daniel Jones interception. Um, I think it was the second half, really, where the defense started to go downhill. Yes. Uh, there are very few bright spots about this game, and I'm going to list off the four players right now that were the bright spots of this game. Blake Martinez, James Bradbury, Leonard Williams, and Graham Gano. That's it. That's it. And I'll be honest with you, the Giants are pretty decent against the run in this game. They saw the run 35 times, I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken. I may have that number wrong. But uh, they didn't give up 100 yards rushing. That's they were facing third-string running back. They were facing third running back. Well, not really, because McKinnon was supposed to start last year before his injury. He was yes. supposed to be the guy. Oster was the third string. But then, you know, due to the injury, similar thing, uh, your line of seniority faltered. But – McKinnon impressed me, and Jeff Wilson, you're right. Who are these guys? Jeff Wilson, um, Brandon Ayuk, the first wide receiver to score a touchdown in over nine months for the 49ers. Uh, Yeah, and then Wilson, the touchdown catch, and then the touchdown rush, putting the uh, 49ers up 36-9. to But I've got to say one thing. I'm really impressed with Joe Judge and his special teams uh, management because San Francisco scores a touchdown, right? They're up 29 to nine. The extra point is coming and pretty much all the starters are on that unit, except for Nate Ebner and Corey Ballantyne, who's now a backup, by the way, they're starting Isaac Yadam there now. Um, they forced Wisnowski to throw the ball off a bad snap. Now, if, if we're talking about last year's Giants team, no effort, not running hard enough, but the Giants were still running hard and they were able to, you know, prevent a point from being put on the board where Wisnowski had to throw the football away. And I thought the two safeties on that extra point, Nate Ebner and Julian Love did a fantastic job knowing where their guys were. They knew where their assignments were and, I think Nate Ebner was a great addition to this team from a special uh, special team standpoint. And Julian Love is really bursting onto the scene again in year two because of injuries to guys like Xavier McKinney and Jabril Peppers, who did leave this game and not return. I believe he had an ankle injury. Yes. But, uh, I don't, it was I, brutal. Uh, regarding Peppers, I don't think he will be. Uh, I don't, no, I don't think, think he's playing this weekend. Yeah. It's not official yet, but unofficial official, we'll say. Yeah. Daniel Jones in this game didn't even throw for 180 yards. <laughs> One inter- interception, no touchdowns. However, uh, he was the leading rusher. Five rushes for 49 yards. Is is calling for Daniel Jones uh, to be benched, to, to tank for Trevor, is this an overreaction? Oh, I think 110% this is an overreaction by Giants fans. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this because I will absolutely shred them to pieces if they try to defend that argument that Jones is not the guy three games into the season. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. It's, it, it, there's, it's a two-parter. I'm going to say it's not crazy for one reason and one reason only. 
We thought the Arizona Cardinals were insane by trading up for Josh Rosen, getting rid of him after one year, getting rid of the head coach after one year, and look where they stand right now. It's not crazy. It's really not crazy. And when this guy, Trevor Lawrence, is being compared to Peyton Manning, I think it becomes even less of a crazier gap than last year was with the Cardinals. That's one. And two is with this team. The problem with this team has nothing to do with the staff in terms of players. I don't think Joe Judge is the problem. I don't think Patrick Graham is the problem. I'll even go as far as saying I don't think Jason Garrett's the problem. The problem is Dave Gettleman, and the problem is ownership. Because ownership controls all. And the reason with this Giants team, they they have this aura, they have this presence that they're okay with everything. They're okay with allowing this to happen. Dave Gettleman has had three years to put together a capable team and has still not hit double-digit wins underneath him. A 9-26 and record, I believe. I don't care how long a rebuild takes. You have not hit 10 wins in three years. Three years. Nothing to show for it. And you've had, in the first round, you've had a sixth overall, a fourth overall, second overall, a 17th overall, a 27th overall. Five first-round picks. Five first-round picks. You had, 10, you had 10 draft picks this year. You spent $60 million to improve your team and manage to somehow get worse. I made jokes about that before the draft, and they actually managed to happen. I get it. They played the Pittsburgh Steelers. Fantastic defense. The Chicago Bears, great defense. The 49ers, zero excuse whatsoever. We're only three weeks in. I understand that. Daniel Jones has yet to put together 16 games in a season. I get that, 100%. But when is it enough to say that this is not okay, that we cannot and not forget about being fans, just as football viewers, that losing and a rebuilding process, we get it, it takes time. But now basically nine years of being garbage, not even being a 500 team with the exception of 2016. How many more years do we want to say, oh, we're in the rebuilding phase? Tom, I think you brought up this point last week where you said the 90s, they suck. Does that mean it's okay that we got to wait a decade for this team to even get to 500? Oh, geez, here we go. I'm, I'm asking you. This is not the 90s. This is not the 90s. Daniel Jones is not a Dave Brown. He's not a Kent Graham. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying – how many more years do you think it's appropriate to wait as a fan, as a football viewer, to say, okay, this is not okay. There's a problem bigger than the people that they're hiring. It's the people that are hiring. Then that's the issue. If they're not – Dave Gettleman, from day one, people knocked the signing. People knocked the signing. Nobody gave him credit, and nobody's giving him credit. Why? Because he hasn't done a good job. Ben McAdoo, nobody gave him credit, yet he was the only coach since 2011 to bring this team to the playoffs. Pat Shermer, it's the people that are hiring the people at the problem, not the people that are being hired. This rotation of coaches, I feel bad for Joe Judge. Joe Judge, I think, is a good coach. He disciplines his players. He holds his players accountable, which the last two Giants coaches have not done. But yet somehow this team, every single game so far, they just don't even look like they're on the same level as the Chicago Bears. Oh, uh, the Chicago Bears. And this team is now 13-point underdogs against the L.A. Rams. They just let up 36 points. It would have been 39 if it wasn't for Aubrey Gold missing a field goal. 
a 30-point margin potentially, to a bunch of backups. Now you've got a healthy L.A. Rams team with arguably the best defensive player of our generation and Aaron, Gold on the opposite, Aaron Donald on the opposite side. What do you think is going to happen come Sunday? I don't know. But after what I just saw this past Sunday, I can tell you this. This outlook is not going to be good. And sadly, the season in which they have competition up in the future, playing an MVP in Russell Wilson, playing Tom Brady in Tampa in their dominant offense, I don't know how this season's going to pan out. I predicted five wins this season. I personally don't know if we're going to get there. I really don't. I get it. It's three games. I get it. They didn't have a training camp. But you know what? So did everybody else. And yet everybody else is performing better. The Giants, through three weeks of football, have one more point, stand second right now in points, just behind the New York Jets. And do you think the New York Jets, in terms of personnel, are anywhere close to what the Giants have? Because I'm going to say no. The Giants have a 10 times better personnel staff than the New York Jets, and yet somehow the Jets played the 49ers better, yet they faced Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Bosa, and Solomon Thomas. They put up more points, and yet they only have one less point than the New York Giants do through three weeks of football. There is something wrong with this team, and it's not the players on the field. It, that's, it is what it well, is. Let me, let, let me say this before I forget. My defense was not geared towards Dave Gettleman. It was geared towards Daniel Jones. Why is the harp over Daniel Jones? Because Dave, have- Dave Gettleman, I get it, but – Kyle, we're three games into the season. You played against the Steelers, the Bears, and the 49ers. Three very similar teams, teams that like to run the football and play good defense. And remember, San Francisco was in the Super Bowl last year, right? They were in the big game. Did the Giants have their worst performance of the season? Yeah, well, they did. This was also the first full game they were without Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard. Now, look, we know the Bears had quarterback issues. We saw it last week with Mitch Trubisky. This week, we saw a different type of loss. This was a team that was flat. But one thing you didn't mention was the offensive line. The offensive line, I I personally think it needs to be shuffled around. I I think you have to try Spencer Pulley at center at some point and maybe Nick Gates at right tackle. Andrew Thomas also left the game with an injury. I'm not sure what his situation is. But um, look, Three games into the season, the issue, yes, it's management up in the front office, quarterback issues. Daniel Jones needs to learn how to limit his turnovers. The running back by committee thing is not going to work. Devontae Freeman, Deion Lewis, and Wayne Goldman, that can't happen. Right now, I think Goldman should be the starter, but eventually it should be Devontae Freeman, where Goldman goes back to number three, and then Deion Lewis will sprinkle you in on third down, get some nice pass catches. But to me, you got to give the 49ers defense credit too. It wasn't just the Giants completely sucking out there. Look what they did to Darius Slayton. They held him to three catches. Devontae Freeman, five rushes for 10 yards. That credit goes to, remember, they still had Arik Armstead, they still had Fred Warner, and they still had Dre Greenlaw. Those are three, I think those are three really respect, respected players on that defense. They still had guys. Um, look, what really my tipping point in this game was the Darius Slayton fumble on that last drive. At least score a touchdown on the last drive. Not only did you not score a touchdown in this game, you didn't enter the red zone once. 
that was the tipping point for you? That was the last two minutes of the game. That was because the- Kyle, come on. Did, did you look? I didn't expect to win this game. It's different when neither did I, but I didn't it. expect to get blown out by 30 points. I didn't expect through that through, through uh, in three weeks of football, Daniel Jones has touchdowns in only one game. Well, it's, I mean, you can't how this is my thing. How many more years are we going to make up excuses before we say, I get it. These are good teams, but they're not even competing. It, uh, again, you talk about the Chicago game. Yes, they winded up coming back. But against Chicago, Mitchell Trubisky just got benched in two and a half weeks. We just saw against Indianapolis. They had us up 17 to nothing. Right. How many more years do we want to keep the offensive line, Tom? You keep on going back to the offensive line. The offensive line has sucked since 2011. And yet almost a decade and they still haven't been able to solve the problem. How many more years can we keep on saying that they're picking the wrong players? that they're picking the wrong management or maybe they're picking the wrong coaching or maybe they're picking the wrong developmental pieces. But I never said they haven't though. I never, I never much, know how I felt about Ben McAdoof. I'm not, I'm not, listen, you call him Ben McAdoof all you want. He's the only one that's led the giants to a successful season in the last seven, eight years. On top of the fact that apparently this is a guy that begged Dave Gettleman to trade up for Patrick Mahomes. Let alone, we probably would have ruined that because we have no offensive line in nope. front of them. But, thing. Go ahead. But my point is, is when does losing become unacceptable? It's been a stigma. Even our predictions. And I could be wrong when I say this. Did any of us predict the New York Giants, I know I didn't, to be a 500 team? I think James might have. But how many more years in a row we've been on the show now? I've been on the show now almost three years. And I don't think one time... We've picked the Giants to be above 500. When does that become a problem? When does that become, hey, this is not a normal thing. There's problems bigger than the staff in which they're putting together. There's problems bigger with the personnel they're putting out on the field. Right. Let's hear from James. I, James has been quiet in this segment. He's kind of let me and Russo go head-to-head here. But uh, what is your personal take on this Giants team, and what do you think – I don't. I don't even. I, I'll make issue plural here. Uh, what What do you think is going wrong? All right. So I've been quiet because whenever you guys argue, we've seen this with the Odell and uh, Eli thing. We're just kind of hoping Russo would walk out of his room, come back with a garbage can. Not going to lie. <laughs> um, if it was but, right next to me, I would have done it. It's behind him. Yeah, I know. A couple years ago. Um, but besides that, um, listen. Calling for Daniel Jones's head isn't some isn't a surprise to me, because as a quarterback of your team, everybody goes after. As the quarterback of your team, everybody goes after the quarterback because he's the pretty much the one that's making the decision plays and who to throw to, what the defense is looking at, etc. Do I do I agree the full blames on him? No. Do I agree part of the blames on him? Yes. He should be playing a little better. Uh, not throwing like we saw at Pittsburgh, not throwing the ball up in the air for a jump ball practically, and whoever comes down with it comes down with it. Um, do I think the faults on Evan Ingram? Yes, that fumble that was not charged to Daniel Jones was charged to Ed- Evan Ingram. That's yep. a routine switch pitch pass, ex- yeah. pitch flight. Um, I think that, offense, that offensive line, 
you guys have to we all have to remember it's a rebuilt offensive line. This is the first time they're ever playing with each other. So right. for them to not get a uh, pretty much a run game going, which would take off a lot of off of a lot of Jones, we're forgetting that. We're forgetting that offensive line hasn't played an off season together. Um, to piggyback off of that, our wide receivers need. I don't even know if they're getting open. They need to do a better job securing the ball. Um, we really don't have that one big target in a sense. We have Slayton, which is pretty much Janu Jones's favorite player to throw to. Uh, we have Golden Tate. We had Sterling Shepard due to his toe injury. Hopefully we get him back. Um, so we also have to realize that there's no big, big name threat yet. Like some of the other teams have, um, that Jones can throw to. On the defensive side, Blake Martinez played his soul out on Sunday. I yep. mean, he was all over every play. I think he played almost every snap. Yep. Him um, and Bradbury are great. Yes. Him and Bradbury are unbelievable. So the defense did pretty well, but that San Francisco offensive line was hard to get to. Um, the defense was also gassed. I, even, I think I even texted you guys saying our defense is going to be gassed mid the second quarter. Because we had a combined total of seven minutes in the first half of the game, and I don't even know how many minutes in the second half of the game. The, the 49ers had the ball for 40 minutes of the game. And so, we had it for 20. And here's why. Oh, God. Well, you can say the offensive line, and we accredit that, but as much as we like to tip the cap off to the defense, the defense was 8-12 and 12 on third downs. I mean, this is routine type of stuff. And this is, I get it. The offensive line is great. Trent Williams is a fantastic, fantastic replacement for Joe Staley. Mike McGlinchey. Tom, you said it yourself a million times. Notre Dame produces what? Offensive lineman. And he's a fantastic one. Ben Garland is a great center. Lakin Tomlinson is a great left guard. But again, how many more excuses do we want for this team? Okay, I get it. it listen, if we're talking about a 36 to 27 loss, I'm on your I'm on your boat. I'm a hundred percent on your boat. But when does it become met? 36 to 9. It's not just the 49ers offensive line is the reason why the Giants are performing this bad. Well, no, that, that that's not what I'm saying. I'm just pointing out that they were very good. Look, I I agree with you, Kyle, with what you're saying. The people who are put in these positions to pick all these players are a huge part of the problem. But we also need to talk about two players in particular, and Isaac Yadam and Devontae Downs. This all dates back to DeAndre Baker and Ryan Connolly. And it, you know what? Maybe not even Ryan Connolly. Maybe it's not having David Mayo, who's questionable for week four. We haven't even spoken about him. The best linebacker on the team last year. Fantastic linebacker against the run last year, who we still don't have yet. We don't have Xavier McKinney. Those are two key voids right there that we are trying to full fill with guys off the practice squad from last year, guys off the street, and it's not working. Mayo, McKinney, and Baker. Not having those three guys is killing this defense right now. By the way, Mayo is officially questionable for week four, but I don't think he's going to play. It's looking more like a week five return for him, but that could change within the next 24, 48 hours. Um, 
You guys want to hear a fun fact real quick about this Giants team that I actually saw? Yeah. All right. So Andrew Thomas, through three weeks of the NFL season, has allowed the second most QB pressures in the NFL, only behind former Giant Bobby Hart. It's three weeks. It's three weeks. It's three he, weeks. Look, but but Makai Becton, Jedrick Wilson, and Makai Becton, and, and uh, Tristan Wirfs are all in the top ten in terms of offensive linemen for the season just, so far. You just hold our horses a little bit. And I'm trying. I've been holding my horse for the last. We have to get through the rest of the segment, though. The 49ers outgained the Giants 420 to 231. Sounds appetizing, right? How delicious. Uh, Giants had three turnovers. San Francisco had none. As we mentioned, the Giants did not reach the red zone. Giants will play the Rams out in L.A. this Sunday. The Giants have not played out in L.A. in a long, long time. Time for another fun fact. Well, what do you think it is? The Giants have not played in L.A. since 1994. Interesting. I had a different fun fact in mind. I saw this. And they lost. I had a different fun fact. I don't think we brought it up. The 49ers didn't punt the ball one time in this game for the first time since 1993 when they had Steve Young and Jerry Rice leading the charge. Except this time it was Nick Mullins. Thank you for that. And the Giants only punted once. And quite frankly, he's our best offensive weapon right now. Well, <laughs> maybe second behind Graham Gano and Riley Dixon. That's great. Riley That's Dixon is over over 40% of his punts are landing inside the 20-yard line. That He's on a rate to put up Jeff Fiegel, Steve Weatherford type of numbers. I don't think Riley Dixon is the issue on this team. But any, anyway... Um, the Rams lost their first game of the season to the Buffalo Bills, 35-32. to They were down 28-3, to and they came back. I know, I remember hearing this game because we were, we were at the bar watching, and the guy at the table outside down, um, you know, a few seats from us was a Rams fan watching the game. And, you know, it was very fun to watch towards the end. So, but coming back 28-3 to to take a lead, and then the controversial pass interference call. Um, Giants terminate Cooper Rush and Rod Smith from the practice squad. They signed Clay Thorson, Alfred Morris, and Madre Harper, who's actually officially expected to sign tomorrow. But, guys, the last time the Rams beat the Giants at home was October fourteenth, two 2001. If history tells us anything, it's that the Giants may actually have a shot on Sunday. But if history has taught us something – is do not go with history in 2020. I'm picking the Rams, and I'm picking the Rams big. I think 27 to 10 was a little generous. That was my original prediction. I'm going to go one up. I'm going to say 34 to 10, L.A. Rams. Kyle Russo, are, are, are you copacetic? I don't know what that means, but uh, I'm going to pick. Are you okay? No, I'm not, because these numbers that I'm about to spew are disgusting. I, I think the Giants are going to lose this game 40-13. to 13. Uh, The Rams were able to put 32 on the Buffalo Bills defense. What are they going to do to the Giants? James? Uh, tough cookies here. Tough. How uh, big do I want to make the margin, James? <laughs> Rams... Uh, 37 to three. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> you guys, James, they're not even getting in field goal range in this game, huh? We'll get in field goal game range once. Fellas, let's have a little fun and talk about the Jets for a few minutes. <laughs> um, the Jets lose to the Colts 36-7. Fun, right? You would think. I enjoyed it. Plus my fantasy team with the Colts defense. The Giants got throughout. The, the, the Colts gave it to the Jets worse than the 49ers gave it to the Giants. Uh, Phillip Rivers became the sixth quarterback in NFL history with 400-plus touchdown passes. Uh, Rivers only had to throw the ball 21 times. Goes to show you how good the Colts' offensive line and rushing attack is. Jonathan Taylor had another touchdown. And Xavier Rhodes, former Minnesota Vikings cornerback, Oh, poor Gabe Fleeton. Two interceptions, two passes defended, and he is the number one pro football focus ranked cornerback in the league through three weeks. The reason why Phillip Rivers didn't have to throw that many passes is because Sam Darnold was throwing touchdowns to the Colts. Two <laughs> pick sixes in this game. Right. Two pick sixes. Three picks. Three picks. Total. Two pick sixes. It was um it's not good. Look. Not good. 36, 37-year-old Frank Gore is your leading rusher and Braxton Berrios is your leading receiver for the second week in a row. That's a problem. That's a problem. Uh, Darnold started the game. It was just terrible. The, the Jets. It's the first play. He threw a pick six, I think. Yeah. It was the first play. Fun fact, Sam Darnold has been sacked in 19 consecutive games. That is the longest active streak in the NFL. Although I will give the Jets this, a lot of their key players are out. Their skills players, Le'Veon Bell, Jameson Crowder, Denzel Mims, Brashad Perriman, George Fant, Ashton Davis, Quincy Wilson. Does Adam Gase even make it to the end of the season? The Jets currently have the 32nd ranked off offense. That is dead last, averaging 12.3 points per game. That is even worse than the Giants. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this because the Jets have already made a statement saying that they got Adam Gase on their radar. If they lose tomorrow night to the Broncos with as bad as a team and injured as a team that they have starting Brett Ripon at quarterback tomorrow night for the Denver Broncos, if they lose that game, if they lose that game, Adam Gase will be fired the next day. I will go out as far and say that. It depends who plays, though, because I, I get it. You you want at least a good performance from this team. I don't think a loss necessarily makes Adam Gase fired because remember, the Broncos have – they still have Noah Fant healthy, Melvin Gordon, Jerry Judy, and Brett Ripien looked pretty good last week when he came in relief of Jeff Driscoll. He went 8 for 9, 53 yards. He did have an interception, but I thought overall his passing was crisp. He will officially make his first NFL career start on Sunday, and – Look, he has some strong family ties to this league. His uncle, Mark Repian, played for the Washington, um, you know, uh, <laughs> earlier on in his career. Yep. Um, played in our own division. But Repian is the third Broncos quarterback to start in four games this year. Denver is still pretty decimated with injuries, in particular on defense. They lost defensive tackle Jural Casey. Last week, they do not have Von Miller, Mark Barron, or A.J. Boye. Um, I'm surprised nobody picked the Jets in the quick picks, but uh, let's predict this game right now. I think this is going to be a snooze fest of a Thursday night football game. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Denver Broncos by a final score of 
I'm going to say 17 to 10. James? Uh, it's probably going to be the worst Thursday night game of this season. Uh, 21-14, uh, but we will be staring at our TV screens wondering what is going on. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, God, this is terrible. Uh, Denver, Denver 24, Jets 13. Okay. Fair enough. So let's get to our NFL quick picks. James, you were the week three winner. Congratulations. You went 11 and five. Uh, You won again with 14 points. Um, There we go, baby. Let's let's get those point totals up here. The quick pick standings. James has 40 points through three weeks. Kyle is 37. I have 35. Gabe has 32. Gabe lost for the third week in a row this week, not via a tiebreaker, not via a double tiebreaker, via a triple tiebreaker. Gabe Flayton lost the NFL quick picks. So his punishment he will make a four-minute PowerPoint presentation of his least favorite player from each NFC North football team. So, poor Gabe, man. Let's show those Week Three picks quick. We're not going to spend too much time on it, but uh, if we, if we can get Excel up in here, let me switch over to my other screen. Alrighty, if it could load. Alrighty, as you can see, uh, the green means they won. The red means they lost. Good job, James. Listen, I'm just clarifying. As you see, we got all of our lock and upsets correct. Good job, boys. Everyone, nobody hit an upset before this week, and we all got it. We all nailed our upset. Very happy to see that. Um, As you guys can see across the board, um, obviously Miami won last week against Jacksonville. Double-digit win since week 13 of 2017. And then uh, San Francisco Giants, we're not going to talk about that game. Um, Poor game, man. Poor game. (laughs) Bears in Atlanta. Uh, I was the only one that picked the Bears. Yeah, Yeah, you uh, Fitzmagic was kind of – Nick Foles. Nick Foles. Nick Foles saved the day as the Falcons are now 0-3 for the first time since 2007, James. They blew a fourth-quarter lead for the second week in a row of 15-plus points, and that is Matt Ryan's 16th career blown lead of 10 points or more. Uh, I think Dan Quinn is on the hot seat more than ever right now. I understand you're without Julio Jones, but no excuse to blow that lead. Yes, uh, the, the Los Angeles Rams versus Buffalo Bills. Um, that was actually a pretty good game. We talked about that. Uh, Cleveland, Washington, we all got Cleveland correct. Uh, ten, okay, got to love that. Tennessee versus Minnesota. Um, well, Tom took the Vikings. Uh, Gabe took Tennessee. Almost hit it, too. I almost hit that. The Vikings should have won that game. They should have. Jefferson Great, man. I told you guys it was going to be very, very tight. And the Titans are 3-0 for the first time since 2008. Do you know who their quarterback was? Was it? 2008? Was it? Blake Bortles? No. no, was it? No. 
Mc, was it McNair? Nope. McNabb? We know him pretty well. We know him pretty well. We know him pretty well. Hmm. Why am I blanking? <laughs> Final guesses. Is it David Carr? How about Kerry Collins? Oh, there you go. There we go. All righty. Uh, s- Cincinnati versus Philly. So we all got it. What what? Team is red. Uh, that it was a tie. Yeah. Uh, so in our rule book, when they both lost, when when it ties, we all lose. Uh, Houston and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh won. Uh, New England versus the Raiders. Uh, New England uh, Jets versus any we talked about. Uh, we all got the Los Angeles Chargers wrong against Carolina. Uh, Tampa Bay versus Denver. We all got Tampa Bay correct. Uh, Detroit versus Arizona. Uh, I was the only one to pick Detroit, correct? Everybody picked Arizona. Yeah, except for you, James. You know? I James, you and, this, you and these single-hand picks, man, you're always right. I just got to look at – I got to wait till James fills out his <laughs> thing and then just kind of fill it out similarly. All right. That he, he peeks at mine a little. Yeah. Uh, so Dallas and Seattle. Gabe was the only one that picked the Cowboys. I knew Russell Wilson looking like MVP-type season. Um, Green Bay, New Orleans. That was honestly the best game of the week. Yeah, I was surprised as good as New Orleans did without Michael Thomas. Well, they had Amaro Kamara, uh, Kamara that put up fifty-five points in our in mine Tom's league. Helped me out yeah. tremendously. Love that. Kansas City versus Baltimore. Um, thought that game would have been a lot closer than it was. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is the fastest to ten thousand yards. Um, I. And Russo was the only one that picked Kansas City. We, Kansas City, we all went with Fonz's Ravens. Um, obviously, that did not pan out too well. And then that is week three. So let's just recap a couple more of those games. Um, Philadelphia does not look good. Carson Wentz, another pair of interceptions. Uh, Pittsburgh, 3-0 and for the first time since 2010, which was very impressive, um, you know considering Houston, I wouldn't hit the panic button just yet, but they have played the Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers. That is, you know, the row of death the first three weeks. Yep. Uh, the Panthers won a game for the first time since week nine of last year without Christian McCaffrey. And then the Lions upset the Cardinals on a game-winning 39-yard field goal from kicker Matt Prater. Uh, how big of an upset was this, guys? It was the return of Kenny Galladay, had a good stat line, and Kyler Murray had three interceptions, one to Jeff Okuda, the rookie cornerback. How big of an upset was this game? It was huge. I, you know, people were talking about Kyler Murray in the MVP uh, candidacy after he you know, had an unbelievable performance against the 49ers, and then I believe they played – who did they play week two? They played Washington week two, so but their defense is fantastic. But against Detroit, even with Kenny Galladay back, I mean, Arizona was still favored, I believe, heavily. And then Kyler Murray throwing three picks was really the reason why Detroit was able to stay in this game to begin with. You know, just winning off a field goal, even though Kyler Murray had three turnovers himself. Um, but not a good performance by him. A very, very bad performance because um, that should have been a win. It really should have been a win because at points in this game, they were leading. Yeah. Um, Tampa Bay and Denver. Mike Evans had two catches for two yards for two touchdowns. Triple deuces. Very interesting stat line. Um, 
Tom Brady with three touchdown passes. This Scotty Miller, man, led the team with 83 receiving yards again this week. And then the Bucks defense had six sacks. Shaq Barrett finally um, unleashed the Kraken this week with a pair and ended up to Jeff Driscoll getting benched. Um, Dallas and Seattle, the Seahawks win off five touchdown passes from Russell Wilson, including the game winner to DK Metcalf. Lockett in this game had three TDs. Michael Gallup and uh, Sed Wilson were pretty good for the Cowboys. Sunday Night Football, the Packers and the Saints. Packers win 37-30. It was the first road win for Green Bay at New Orleans since 1995. They were without Devontae Adams, as the Saints were without their number one, Michael Thomas. Alan Lazard, six catches, 146 yards, and one score. This heavyweight duel between Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, it never gets old. Three touchdown passes for each. And the most interesting stat line to me is Alvin Kamara, 13 receptions, 139 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, How much do the Saints miss Michael Thomas? Big time. Big time. They Drew miss him a lot. Breeze misses Michael Thomas the most. Oh, yeah. Because even you you guys can even look back. Without that stadium full of capacity, with those fans yelling, screaming like no tomorrow, Aaron Rodgers was able to at least have three or four offsides calls yep. on, the, on New Orleans defense. So... Yeah, and then we look at the Chiefs and the Ravens, guys. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, fastest quarterback, 10,000 yards, as you mentioned, four touchdowns. And Eric Fisher had a two-yard touchdown reception, the first number one overall pick to catch a touchdown since Keyshawn Johnson back in 2006. Lamar Jackson didn't even have 100 passing yards. He was terrible. And uh, Fonz, I, I... you know, we had him on last week to preview this game, and, you know, sad but true, uh, the, the Chiefs are just the better football team. Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback. The Chiefs outgained the Ravens 517 to 228. And that stat line, Patrick Mahomes has never thrown an interception or lost a game in the month of September. Lamar Jackson has four career regular season losses, three of them to these Kansas City Chiefs. I think he said it after the game. He said the Chiefs are our kryptonite. Yep. Pretty much. (laughs) It's not even their kryptonite. It's his. I don't even think he had 100 passing yards until the last drive play the last drive of the game. Oh, he didn't. Um, So... Week three takeaways, there are seven unbeaten teams remaining. Chiefs, Titans, Bills, Steelers, Packers, Seahawks, and Bears. So four in the AFC, three in the NFC. And then West Coast teams traveling to the East Coast are six and two so far this season. That's interesting because historically it's usually the other way around. Um, So I found that very interesting. And then we preview the week four games quickly. Uh, before we get fits up here. Tom, you just want me to read them off real quick? Uh, hold on. I just want to make a couple of notes. The Steelers Titans game is postponed. They are moving it to either Monday or Tuesday. We don't know yet. Four Titans players, at least at this point, have tested positive, in addition to five staff members. So this also asks us if the Vikings and Texans game is in jeopardy for this week because the Minnesota Vikings 
all had to get tested because they played Tennessee last week. So far, so good. All have come back negative. So this is really the first outbreak we have seen this year, forcing Minnesota and Tennessee to both close their facilities. And James, I will let you, um, I will let you roll through the games here. All right. So tomorrow night's game, Denver versus the New York Jets. As you guys can see, we're all taking Denver. Uh, the next game, Arizona versus the um, blanking Carolina. Uh, everybody's taking Arizona. As you guys can see, this might be a trend. Um, <laughs> Indy versus Chicago. Tom is taking Chicago. Why everybody's taking Indy. Um, Jacksonville versus Cincy. Tom is taking Cincy. Everybody's taking Jacksonville. Will Tom be what I is Tom going to do what I normally do during the weeks? We'll find out this week. Uh, Cleveland versus Dallas. Everybody's taking uh, the Cowboys. America's team. Yada yada yada. Eh, eh, eh. I'm taking Cleveland to beat the Cowboys. <laughs> New Orleans versus Detroit. Uh, we're all taking New Orleans. Uh, Minnesota versus Houston. Gabe is taking his Vikings. Uh, everybody's taking Houston. I really hope for game they win because I, I, I just feel bad for the guy. Um, Seattle versus uh, Miami, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's taking Seattle. Um, the Chargers versus Tampa Bay. Everybody's taking Chargers. Uh, as Tom just said, Pittsburgh and Tennessee, that will be either Monday or Tuesday. Uh, so everybody's taking Pittsburgh, but we will see the date and time. Uh, Baltimore versus Washington's Fonz team can Fonz's team can get back on track with the win at uh, uh, Washington. Our Giants versus the Rams. Well, um, as you guys can see, we all took the Rams. Uh, New England versus Kansas City. This is going to be a good game. Um, everybody's taking the Chiefs though. After especially after they played last Monday, forget about it. Uh, Buffalo versus the Raiders. Everybody's taking the Raiders. Uh, everybody's taking Buffalo. Excuse me. Uh, Philly versus San Fran. Everybody's taking San Fran against Philly. You saw what they did against the Giants. Sure, they can do the same again. Uh, then Atlanta versus Green Bay. Everybody's taking Green Bay. Uh, Atlanta just doesn't want to win games. <laughs> my feeling anymore. <laughs> See, I'm making this comical, guys. All righty. Our locks. Uh, Tom is going with the Ravens. Kyle's going with Seattle. Gabe is going with New Orleans. And I'm going to go with Denver. Um, then for our upsets, Tom is going to go with the Bears. Uh, Kyle is going to go with Jacksonville. Gabe is going to go with his Vikings. Again, hopefully get, they get the win. And I am going to go with Cleveland. And that is your week four picks, locks, and upsets from the boys at Review and Preview. So before Fitz gets on, you know, I've got to say, I was very te- tempted to pick Jacksonville. And I was very tempted to pick Las Vegas. The Bills have not beaten the Raiders on the road since they were the L.A. Raiders back in 1991. Uh, The Falcons game, I just don't see it. Their secondary shredded. A.J. Terrell actually has COVID-19. And bad teams find ways to lose games. And that's what the Falcons did last week. Third and 10, third and 15, Matt Ryan's throwing a deep ball into the end zone. And... I'll be honest with you. I was not very impressed uh, with them. I think they finish at the bottom of the NFC South below the Panthers, and Dan Quinn will be fired. Uh, There's just no way around that. Um, Look, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I don't know what's going to happen with fantasy football this week with these two games because we know the Steelers and Titans won't play. Um, If 
the scorekeepers will wait until the game is played next week, early next week, or if we won't be allowed to use those players. I'm not 100% certain. So for the sake of our league, we'll have to figure that out within the, within the next day or so, trying to figure that out. Uh, Kevin Fitzmaurice, the JDF Sports owner, will be joining us shortly. He just got off his other podcast of Buckets. He will be joining us in approximately uh, two to three minutes, we think. So uh, we will have him on for you shortly. We're really looking forward to it. We're going to talk some NFL football and, of course, about his New England Patriots. So um, some of the key games this week, I really like New England at Kansas City. Nobody's taking the Patriots. But, uh, you know, Kansas City – before last week, they didn't look that impressive in their first two games, in particular week two. So it was good to see the Chiefs get back on target. Kyle Russo, which game sticks out to you the most? Which game sticks out to me the most? Yeah. Tom, I think the game that sticks out to me the most is is really that Buffalo Raiders game because the Raiders have not looked like a bad team this year. They're, they're not a bad team. They're actually very well coached, and Derek Carr has proven to be a decent quarterback while Josh Allen on the other side of the ball is playing like an MVP. But we look at the defense on the Buffalo Bills side of the ball, their defense has not really played up to that Buffalo standard in which we've seen in the past, that mindset of Sean McDermott, where the defense is really the the stopper. They they gave up 32 points to the Rams last week. I believe they had a 28 to three lead at one point in the game and just absolutely tore through that. And I think the Raiders can keep this game neck and neck even though I did pick the uh, the Bills coming out victorious, I think it's going to be a game that's going to go down to the final five minutes of the fourth quarter. Yeah, I agree, too. Um, the Bills-Raiders game is going to be very close. Um, Derek Carr has been really impressive to me. The Josh well, Jacobs has been good. Yeah, he has. Darren Waller, too, even though week two he didn't do too much. Uh, I'm sorry. Week three. This, this past week, he didn't do yeah. too much. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to it. See if the Raiders could set the bar a little bit, try to stay in that AFC West race. I think right now they're the second best team in that division behind Kansas City. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward uh, to that. Let me just uh, rem- we'll remove that banner there of Fitz. But um, these points, man, you know, it's really tough. You have to stick out one way or another so that's why i kind of went different with the bears over the colts because the colts have been one of the hottest teams in the league the past couple of weeks and it was very tough for me to pick chicago but the bears are undefeated it may be against lowly teams that aren't good um if i'm not mistaken you know in week one they beat detroit they beat the giants and they beat the falcons so combined those teams are one and eight so looking at it, it's not that impressive. So I think this week is really the week where we find out more about the Chicago Bears team. So that's just my take on this, guys. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. And the locking upsets, too. I like how they're all different this week for once. Last couple of weeks, some of us have been going similar. I think three of us had the same lock last week. Yeah. You guys just all picked whoever the Jets were playing. Pretty much. That's, yeah. that's what it was. James is sticking with that, but it's a little different from the rest of you guys. Um, I do want to point out that as the viewers do see most of this week, 
we have a lot of similarities through through the four of us. Um, so what's really going to come down to, at least in my thinking, not too good at the mental men, mental math off the top of my head, but the locks and upsets are going to be pretty big this week. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. And uh, James, uh, I just wanted to throw this in there. Fitz is going to be joining us within a minute or two, and he's coming on with intern Kearns, Justin Kearns, his right-hand man, who is the host of Buckets cool. on GDF Sports. They will be on the same screen together, I believe, on StreamYard. So definitely um, looking forward to that once they get up here. Um, sorry about the delay, folks. Um, but, yeah, so we're going to talk about his New England Patriots in a second. Um, his show is the Fitz Lounge fantasy egos Fonz is, does a lot of work for them. So I, you know, I'm kind of excited to speak with Fitz here tonight for these last uh, 20 to 30 minutes and, you know, pick his brain a little bit on the world of sports. See, see what he thinks. So James, you could remove the screen there whenever okay. you're ready. Yeah. Um, man, I just hope Gabe comes out of the dust this week. He has been absolutely like getting the raw end of the deal with these quick picks here, man. I, I, I mean, I kind of feel bad, but he has been the loner on a lot of these games, so I'm not shocked. But we will, you know, we will see what happens. I mean, he was right with Miami last week, but um, picking the Giants, man, just picking the Giants, man. You can't do that. Just don't do it. You just, just can't don't do, do it. it. It's simple as that. Um, but guys, you gotta listen. You you gotta uh, uh, also realize that um, that, that we do all this for fun um, as well. So we we tease each other throughout the week. We tease each other in the group chats, but uh, we do this for fun. We test our knowledge on how well we think we're going to do without the week. Um, this actually might be some areas uh, for a few of you that aren't leading the pack like I am um, to gain some ground. So, okay. <laughs> nah, James. I, oh man, I'm hating that Dallas pick right now. I'm I'm loving Cleveland right now and hating my Dallas pick right now. <laughs> As you should, man. Those Browns. Cleveland Browns. I'm Cleveland just thinking Browns. about the the tandem just, of the tandem of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb just running all over Dallas. They that might. Prescott has played fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Um, he has really. He's had some solid outings these past three weeks. Um, I believe he's eclipsed like twelve hundred yards already through three weeks of football, which is amazing. But I mean that defense is so porous right now and just so injured. Oh man, Cleveland! Damn, I should have picked Cleveland. It is what it is. I'm sticking with Dallas. I'm sticking right. with Dallas. I'm gonna stay with him. And if James is right, I just got to start looking at James. <laughs> you just can't. I, hey, I'm the one that fills out uh, that makes everything in week five. Yeah. I haven't done that yet. So right. I'll probably do that this weekend or in the next few days or so. But um, Russo, I'm going to put your picks in so fast then. I got to stop filling it out like first or second. I, that, that's the issue. I just got to wait till James puts it in. Give it the, <laughs> give it the eyeball test. Yeah. I mean, I, hopefully we have a different loser this week because right now we don't. We, we, if Gabe is Gabe, if Gabe's the determining factor and loses on the Minnesota Vikings, that is punishment enough. That is yeah. funny. That is funny beyond belief. Basically, just skipped over them on his show this week. So you know, I, I hope for his sake the Vikings win and that we are wrong. Yeah, I, I originally had the Vikings beating the Texans too, but guys, look, Deshaun Watson 
is bound to win a game. He he's pissed off. Like he's not uh, he's not going to lose this week, and especially because the Vikings haven't practiced all all week, which yeah. why I think this is what made two swing games. For example, the Vikings Texans game, and then the um, the other game, the Titans and Steelers, much easier to pick now because the Titans are um, not going to play and. Our guests are here, and at this time, I'm going to bring them up on the screen. Looks like we have intern Kearns from JDF. Justin, how's it going? Thank you very much for joining me. Let's see. We're still waiting. Back. Oh, there he is. Bruce has the Miami jersey. We have both of them now. Looks like they are ready. So I will add them both now. This is Kurt. There he is. Guys. What's going on, fellas? Can you guys hear us? Yep. Yep. We can. Uh, First off, thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Both of you really appreciate it. Yeah, turn up. I don't think we can hear them, though. Turn up. uh... Oh, I know. I believe Justin's muted. Oh, I'm I'm hearing a little bit now. Who messed with that, all this, any of this stuff? <laughs> we'll get it there. I promise we'll get there. <laughs> Little technical lag oh, there. Can you hear you? Yeah, we can hear there you. There we guys. go. What's going on? What's, what's, what's up, guys? Camera we are. There we go. How's it going? Um, you know, it's great to have you guys on, first off. Thanks so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you guys do over at JDF. Absolutely. So I'm Kevin Fitzmorris. I'm the owner of JDF Sports. Um, so what I do personally in the network, um, you know, my, my number one role here is, is to try to create really good content for everyone. Um, so I host the Fitz Lounge on Why? Sunday mornings. Shut up, Justin. I host the Fitz Lounge on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Um, and that's an NFL preview show. So we go over all the games coming up. Um, we have a couple different guests on, a fantasy football expert. We have a sports better come on. Um, your friend Fonz DeFalco, he co-hosts it with me. Um, so I do that on Sunday mornings and then on Tuesdays, I co-host a fantasy football show called fantasy egos, which we go over waiver wire, pickups, stardom, sit things like that. Um, and so those are, you know, really the number one things that everyone will catch me on. And then also, you know, it's just pretty much anything behind the scenes, getting it up and running. Um, we, we have a phenomenal team over there. Literally, we would be nothing without the guys, as, as you guys know, you know, you need a strong team and a good group of guys to get anything going. So, um, you know, we're, I'm extremely blessed to get to work with a lot of the guys. And then a couple of years ago, my buddy over here, intern Kearns, Justin Kearns, he was a uh, intern at Fitchburg State yep. University, a local co- uh, college out here. And uh, Justin, what, why don't you tell me your story? So you'll see me mostly. Uh, we just finished our, my show. Um, I'm hosting Buckets with Xavier and Gabe. That's our highlight basketball show. I do all of our basketball news. And then really, like, like uh, Kevin said, we, we kind of throw our hats in every single aspect. We try to help out any way we can with graphics, whether it comes to other content. You know, we come up with commercial ideas and stuff and trying to just figure out how we can grow our brand any way possible and then helping the guys any way that they need help, um, you know, whether it be with their show or if they need help with any graphics. But, I mean, what, like Kevin said, it's, it's, so, it's so nice to have the team that we have behind us. I mean, those guys are so amazing with what they do, and it's so great to have guys where if one of us is busy or if one of us is not so great at something, we have a team of guys we can go to and say, hey, guys, can one of you guys take care of this for us? And, Every single time, they're always on point, and it's 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 honestly it's amazing. 
sounds like a great background and great story for you guys. Um, as you guys see on the ticker below, make sure to give JDF Sports a follow at JDF Sports. I believe you guys are on, obviously, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, oh, YouTube, everywhere, maybe everywhere. Twitch, <laughs> right? YouTube, yeah, Twitch, YouTube, Twitch. Uh, we're on uh, multiple different podcast platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Sp- uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, uh, Amazon Podcasts. Um, I think that covers the whole list. That's but, it. yeah, any- anywhere that you want to check us out, um, JDS Sports is available. But, you know, obviously, before you do any of that, you got to check out these guys over here at Review Preview, oh, throwing yeah, their hats in the ring, out. doing awesome stuff. I see all the shows you guys got going on. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I follow you guys, and you guys have some really, really good content up there, man. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. We were like, we're transitioning from a radio show to like a live stream now. So, you know, it's been, it's been a little difficult at times, but we're, um, you know, we're get we're getting there for sure. Fonz was a big help with this. Oh, Fonz. Yeah. Fonz is great. I mean, we talked about the team, but Fonz is a huge player for that team. I mean, great guy, great contributor, you know, Sorry, sorry, we kind of took them from you guys, but we're not coming back. <laughs> it's the fight for Fonz. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, he he was great for us, but anyway, we want to talk to you guys about some football. Why why don't we, uh, James? I know you actually had the first question. Uh, why don't we get into it here? Yeah, so this uh, this is mostly uh, directed towards you. So with as you guys heard, the um, one team has at least eight players, eight players or coaches that have now tested positive for COVID. How do you feel? Obviously, the NFL isn't in a bubble situation, but how do you feel that the NFL has handled the situation that has actually arisen over the last few days so far? Um, I mean, personally, for the Tennessee Titans, when you really think about in the grand scheme of things, they've absolutely crushed it. This has been a, a phenomenal situation that they've been, or a, a phenomenal handling of a, of a situation that could go bad, considering that only eight personnel players, um, three, I think it was, it's up to four players now, and I think it's five members, so I think it's nine Considering how nine of those guys, they've managed to quarantine everyone else. The Minnesota Vikings have all tested negative. The rest of the team has all tested negative. Now they're pushing that Steelers-Titans game that's going to be coming up, which should be a really good one. Um, They're pushing it now from Sunday um, afternoon to potentially Monday or even Tuesday, which is going to change things for fantasy. I don't know how the implications are going to be there for fantasy football, but I think the NFL is doing a great job. You know, the Vikings shut down the facility. The Titans shut down the facility. Um the Vikings are opening back up tomorrow and then they are now planning to, you know, like I said, move that game. And so if you sit here and you look up at the MLB, I mean, we were sitting here a couple of weeks ago wondering what was going to happen when almost an entire roster got shut down because of COVID-19 and they had to postpone a bunch of games and all sorts of, you know, players were getting it. And it was just like this huge stir up was MLB season going to survive. And they did a great job of, of handling it and getting the wraps of it. I think football, if, if everyone sticks to their role, I know the Raiders ran into a situation where multiple players were seen without a mask. So they're investigating that. Um, you know, John Gruden came out, said that he had COVID as well. So, you know, if, if everyone can just do their part in, and you know, do it like the rest of us, wear your masks, you know, if you don't have to go out, don't go out you're sick report your symptoms stay home i I think that we'll that we'll continue with the football season i think the nfl is doing a phenomenal job of keeping this in control for what could potentially be an even worse situation um but i think right now everything they're doing is is the right protocols and i think that you know they're, they're really hammering down on everyone wearing their their masks they really care about it the nfl knows it's all about money for them they don't want to lose the game they want to make sure everyone stays the course but what's your guys thoughts on it I would have to personally agree with you, Fitz. I mean, uh, they've done a great job for for a league in which, you know, come the beginning of August, 
players were attacking Roger Goodell for his plan of action and what they were planning on doing. And so far, with the exception of the Tennessee Titans, and, you know, we'll find out how that took place. You know, a lot of people gave Rob Manfred in the beginning of the MLB season when Miami and St. Louis wound up getting COVID and then finding the backstories to why that happened in the first place. I'm not saying the Tennessee Titans have that same type of situation, but, you know, you'll find a story within the coming weeks of why that happened and the magnitude of why it happened in. But with the exception of those eight players, eight personnel and players combined, they've done a great job considering they've had no bubble situation on top of the fact that they're the first league to allow fans to be in attendance at some of these team games. And they haven't had any problems so far with the exception, obviously, of the Titans. So I would have to agree with you 100% that they have done a phenomenal job so far this season. Guys, too, I wanted to focus hone in on your New England Patriots, too, and their game last weekend against Vegas. Um, surprisingly, you guys would be surprised. There's a good amount of Patriot fans uh, down here in New York. But um, oh, that's surprising. That is surprising. Yeah. <laughs> I, see, I'm one of those Giant fans that um, – I appreciate the Patriots and like what they've done. I've always been a Tom Brady guy. I personally like him a lot. And I think there's a lot of unfair heat towards the Patriots franchise and Patriots fans at times. Um, I know Kyle and James definitely disagree with me, but um, you know, I'm the oddball out there. Rex Burkhead guys. So no James white missing his second game in a row due to the unfortunate passing of his father in the car accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, scored a career high. Burkhead did three touchdowns on Sunday, and he also led the team with seven catches. How well has he played during his absence, and what do you attribute that to? Um, I mean, Burkhead has always been a guy who's he's not the most stellar athlete, he's not the most stellar runner, he's not the most stellar pass catcher, but he's very, very consistent. He can do both those things. He can run the ball when you need to. He's very good at getting those short power runs. He's very good near the goal line. If you get him, you know, he can run very, very, you know, he can run, uh, he can run a lot of routes. He's very good with pass catching, but he also, he's just consistent. He's not going to do anything flashy. He's not really going to put up, you know, he did get three touchdowns, which is great, but he's not going to, you know, he doesn't do that on the regular. He's just a guy who's going to give you a lot of consistency and a lot of toughness. He's a very good power runner. And that's kind of, we don't really have that with some of our other backs, especially with Sony Michelle. I think we've, me and Fitz have gone on our Sony Michelle, who he had a good game though, but. Me and Fitz are not the biggest fans of Sonny Michelle here on JDF. But I think Rex Burke, I mean, he's just a guy who I think you want on a football roster. He doesn't come very expensive. He comes incredibly cheap. And he just gets the job done when you really need him to. Great goal line guy. And, and the thing that, you know, pays major dividends here to, to Rex Burkehead's success against the Raiders is the Bill Belichick system and the Bill Belichick way. And we've, you know, everyone, anyone who's played fantasy, anyone that's watched the Patriots, you know, no matter what running back, you think is going to be the guy it's not. And they've never had that true number one. That's going to come in here and going to, you know, put the team on his back and get it done. They're going to use James white someday. And then, you know, he'll have six catches for, you know, 95 yards and two scores. And then for two weeks, he's going to absolutely do nothing. And then Sony Michelle will go off one week and then they'll find Rex Burkhead. And then they'll sign a guy off the practice squad. You've never heard of before. And he'll go off against the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> and then he'll get cut the following week. You know, it's, it's just it's the Patriot way and the system that he has. Rex Burkhead has always been a guy, you know, for the past couple of seasons, since we signed him from the Bengals, Um, You know, he's just been a guy that you can count on for some of those bigger plays and more of a consistent back when James White isn't on the field and when Sony Michelle does need the rest. Um, Now we're working in right now, Damian Harris, a guy that I'm a big fan of 
coming off the IR. Um, they raved about him. He had a phenomenal camp. They said he ran away with the job, and then he got hurt right before the season started. I think Damian Harris working him into the system. They also have that um, that practice squad sign up that they had. He, you know, he had a phenomenal game. He was hitting the holes really hard. I can't even think of his name now. Um, so, you know, it, it's just it's the way that the Patriots offense has always worked, you know, outside of the big names like the Randy Mosses, the Rob Gronkowski's, you know, the Julian Edelman's, the Wes Welker's. It's anybody's ball game, and, and they do it purposely to work guys in situational football. And this was a situation where Rex Burkhead, you know, we can't rely on James White. So we're going to, you know, use the pass catching ability of Rex Burkhead and get him worked into the system. And that's what we're going to do against the Raiders. And then we probably won't hear about Rex Burkhead for the next couple of weeks yep. as they'll work in Damian Harris and Sony Michelle and yep. some of these other guys. But, you know, what are, what are your guys' thoughts on, on uh, Rex Burkhead and the Patriots? I think that what makes the Patriots so special is that you've seen this over the course of Bill Belichick and his era that he's never been consistent with a running back and a running back option i think that's what makes bill belichick and his coaching his game plan action so special that when you have opposing defenses facing up against his offense and what he throws at you with josh mcdaniels you don't know what you're gonna get you know granted is it sony michelle who you drafted in the first round and yet the guy doesn't even get used basically last week it's rex burkhead not just in the running game but in the pass catching game too Julian Edelman, not a factor. Nikhil Harry, not a factor. It's just Rex Burkhead for the entire game. Not even Cam Newton, who's a guy that's going to run the ball on numerous attempts. I believe he only rushed, had rushing attempts of up to five times or something like that. When you see in games like Seattle, or in, uh, I forgot who they played week uh, one. Miami. Miami, yep. where he is taking advantage of every one, uh, every down on the one-yard line, every, every red zone opportunity. He's the one that's running the ball for the touchdown. They throw so many different things at you that you don't know how to approach it. And I think that's what makes them special. Uh, you know, from a consistency level, you would worry about that in a sense, but it doesn't seem to phase the Patriots whatsoever because their game plan works week in and week out. James, what are you thinking there? Uh, it's crazy because the Patriots, through three weeks, they have the number one rushing attack in the NFL, which is interesting to even think about. Yeah. Listen, that, that organization is just built differently we're like Fitz put it perfectly like they'll sign a player or they'll bring him up for a game that's phenomenal or does okay you won't see him again um they <laughs> just have that organization i mean they got an organization where they they can do that they got a great mind in belichick where he can use pretty much anybody he has on his bench and use him as a completely different role and different playmaker um so in my eyes, that organization is always going to be top notch until probably Belichick retires. Um, but that that's yeah. at least where I stand, you know, like he can go like the signing of Cam Newton, like, uh, you know, he's a dual threat quarterback. And in my eyes, they've used him great. Oh yeah. I've, I've very so, much enjoyed the way we've used Cam Newton so far this year. Yeah, he's been insane to watch. Now, I think the offense really has just been fantastic. I know you guys lost David Andrews to surgery to his hand, I want to say. He'll miss a yep. few weeks. But, I mean, there's still guys that are filling in nicely. Like, I know Bird and Harry are young guys. They've kind of flown under the radar. Uh, I don't know. Like, I still think Julian Edelman's that number one guy out of the slot. I know mm-hmm. I – continue to start him weekly on my fantasy team but um i don't how has edelman been going for so long because i remember 
even back in 2011, I believe he was on the Patriots roster then as well. He's been on it since like 09. He was the number four receiver on that team. He was the number four guy. And now he just uplifted himself. He's made a career out of it. And he's still, he's still going strong. What's the key for him been? I, I think personally, the Julian Edelman thing is, it's a high motor. It's a guy that, I mean, this, the Patriots, they find these diamonds in the rough every couple of years, you know, obviously starting with Tom Brady himself, but you find the guys that are going to have a chip on their shoulder and manage to fire that chip off for their, almost their entire career. And Julian Edelman was quarterback at Kent state gets drafted, plays behind Wes Welker, who really molded this short little white guy slot position. And then, you know, he, he finds himself in a great returner role, re- returning punts and kicks for the New England Patriots and waiting for his chance, learning from Wes Welker, you know, staying by Tom Brady, getting close to them, doing whatever he can. They're using him in different ways. And then they find that, you know, we're comfortable letting Wes Welker walk away. We're not going to offer him that contract. So he goes to the Denver Broncos. And then you find yourself with a guy like Julian Edelman, who's just he's got this chip on his shoulder and he's just an insane human being as far as his motor. I mean, he's never going to give up. He fights for every single first down. He's gritty. He is tough. It is just it, it is just incredible how they manage to find these guys. And it goes down to the coaching staff in the scouting department. And exactly like James had said, you know, you find these guys and you find ways to use them in roles. You don't think normally you'd draft a, a quarterback out of Kent State and you, he'd end up being a phenomenal cornerstone for one of the greatest dynasties in all of sports in, in that slot receiver position. So I think Jules has always had this chip on his shoulder, always wanted to be better. And then I think what happened was he last year, the end of the Super Bowl, um, the last time the Patriots were in the Super Bowl, you know, Julian Edelman had a phenomenal game. And, you know, he really worked hard and and everyone recognized him for for what he did. And, you know, I remember the Falcons catch and he had a great game against the Rams and even the Eagles. He was out there fighting. And then he finds himself losing Tom Brady, becoming the leader of this team, stepping up in a role where guys like Donta Hightower opt out. You know, some of your offensive linemen are hurt. Rob Gronkowski signs back in the league, goes to New England to join Tom Brady. I mean, goes to Tampa Bay to join Tom Brady. Um, you know, you still have the McCordy twins, obviously, back there. Patrick Chung opts out. So you, you kind of find yourself where, like, okay, who's going to be the guy? It's always been Tom. And then now Jules has another reason to, to step up and another reason to perform in high situations and, and step up into that leadership role. And now he's got another chip on his shoulder going out to prove, number one, I don't need Tom Brady, which I, I don't know if that's his mentality. I know there's all sorts of rumors, but I want to prove I don't need Tom Brady. I want to prove I can lead this team, and I want to be – the reason the Patriots are winning. And that's exactly what Julian Edelman is trying to do, especially in that game against Seattle. He had his career yard. I think it was like 170 yards played phenomenal. Yeah. And I think, I think part of the thing with Edelman too, is that, and I don't think this is meant to be detrimental towards him at all. It's just something he also capitalized on really well with his time in New England, that he was never that main threat going forward. He always had Gronk next to him. So the guy who was always facing double teams was Gronk. And then you had, you had Jules running these underneath routes against small cornerbacks, and he was just muscling these guys. You can't cover him with a small cornerback. You need someone who's real gritty to cover Julian Edelman. So he was just dominating those routes. And I think you kind of saw it last year. We didn't have a number. We really didn't have a number one receiver besides Edelman, and he kind of had some trouble last season. You throw, you know, you can double. If you can double Edelman, you can really take him out of the game. He's not the most athletic person. He's just like you said. He's got a ridiculous motor, maybe the best motor in the league in terms of a slot receiver. And he's just, he's incredibly tough. I mean, I, you'd be hard-pressed to find a tougher guy in the league than Julian Edelman. I mean, that guy can take a hit. He can do anything you want. He can body, he can body, go against linebackers, go against cornerbacks. But 
it's also where he plays. You know what I mean? He plays a slot receiver. So it's tough for him to be a dominating presence without having that secondary main option, without having that Rob Gronkowski there, and also you know getting the benefit of having a Tom Brady-like quarterback. And he plays with a lot of grit too, guys. Um, I just want to get to Tom Brady, and then we'll preview the Chiefs game quick here. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I want both your takes on us as Patriot fans. How much do you guys miss Tom Brady? And is it just odd to not see him out there personally? Oh, man. Kearns, you can have the first oh, one here, buddy. Man, you have to go there with it. Uh, I mean, it's 10 out of 10. It, it, it's, not even, it, it's, it's not even necessarily that I think that we'd be better with him right now than we are with, with Cam. It's just, like you said, it's, it's your, my whole life. You know, I'm, I'm only 24, so literally my entire life I've only known Tom Brady really as the – I mean, I was too young to really remember Bledsoe. So I really have only known Tom Brady as the, as the Patriots quarterback. So it's, it's incredibly strange to not see him out there. It is – Honestly, it's it makes me the first couple times I saw him in his Bucks jersey, I, I I physically cringed. I was I was I felt I felt physically sick seeing him not in a Patriots jersey because it was just such a strange sight. And I mean, yeah, obviously I, I want Tom back, but I do think if there was a time for us to move on and start a new chapter, it was then. Um, I think it was the I think you know looking back, it was the perfect time to make the split. And you know. As much as I would like to see Tom be part of the New England organization at some point in the future in some sort of a, some sort of role, to be nice. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely ten out of ten missing him. Um, so before I say anything, I just want to put out that you know I, I'm a big Tom Brady fan. Um, I've, I've literally watched this guy. I'm a little bit older than Kern, so I've been blessed enough to watch him his whole career. I remember Bledsoe, and you know he, in my opinion, the greatest quarterback to ever play, one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player to ever play, you know, six Super Bowl wins, nine appearances, just phenomenal. So I just want to put that out there before I make the statement that I don't miss Tom Brady at all. And I'm going to sound like just like a, a you know, a, a crude Patriot fan here. And I'm not trying to come off that way, but I, I sit here and I look at the things that Cam Newton are trying is trying to do here in New England. And I'm looking the way that he can throw the football. He can, you know, he can move in the pocket. He's got the mobility, the, the way he opens up the offense. And as a, a New England Patriot fan right now watching this team, we are better with Cam Newton than we would be with Tom Brady. So, yes, I love Tom Brady. I miss the hell out of him. I wish him nothing for the best down in Tampa Bay. But I feel like this New England Patriot team is better off with Cam Newton at the helm than with Tom Brady. And I sit here and I watch this Bucks team, and he's thrown a Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. You got Rob Gronkowski out there. You got Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, Cameron Braid, Scotty Miller, OJ Howard. I mean, the list goes on. Top talent everywhere. And I sit there and I, I, I think to myself that there is no way that Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft would able to put this talent around Tom Brady. And at this point in his career, this is what he needs to be successful. Instead, we have a guy like Cam Newton who's on a one-year deal. This might be Bill Belichick's best free agency move ever best player acquisition in his entire career you take a former mvp who people were writing off and saying he was finished after injuries still had a a lot left in the tank apparently everyone thought he was done write him off the carolina panthers completely screw over cam newton they wait till the very very last minute then they then they they cut him after free agency is done through a pandemic all the guys have been signed or allegedly signed, you know, waiting for it actually sign on the dotted line until they can get COVID tested. Um, and then all of a sudden, he just, out of nowhere, everyone's like, is he going to go to New England? He doesn't go to New England. They rave about Jared Stidham. Then you bring in Cam Newton. 
And it's like, okay, what's the skepticism? What's he going to be like when he shows up? And this dude has been the hardest worker, according to everybody in the organization, the hardest worker, the, la- the first one in, the last one out. He, he brings energy. I mean, we, you watch him in the huddles. He's, he's commanding this offense. You are stepping in for Tom Brady. And Cam Newton is coming in there like he was born to do it. He is stepping in. He is, he's making the right reads. I mean, granted that Seahawks play, he should have bounced out instead of going right at it. But, you know, we're not going to argue the semantics here. It's more of the, the way that this Patriot run, this Patriot offense runs with Cam Newton is so much better than it was last year with Tom Brady. It's so much more fluid. It's so much more explosive. Yeah, we haven't been in a situation yet where it's like the two-minute drill. Can they go down and march it? I know we saw that a little bit in Seattle, but it didn't have the same feel. Like every single time Tom Brady stepped in a huddle and there's like two minutes left on the clock, I'm like cool as a cucumber. I'm not nervous. Now like Cam Newton does it against Seattle, and I'm nervous, but you know he goes down there and, and he's able to make the plays. We just we haven't seen it in like that really tough situation. I hope we get to see it in Kansas City because I really want to see what Cam Newton's made out of. But he runs a lot the first game. Okay, can Cam Newton do it with his arm? He does it phenomenally with his arm against the Seahawks. He's got a solid combo, but it's mostly Rex Burkhead against the Raiders. What is Bill Belichick going to come up with next? I, I, I'm very excited to see what this offense can do, but I miss Tom Brady. Wish him the best. I'm just glad Cam Newton's my quarterback right now. Just wanted to quickly shout out Alec Walt as well. Just commented here. Uh, go check out him and Fonz on Transfer Portal podcast on Saturdays. And I think it is in the pen for you guys. He also uh, is in the pen, and they just Monday. moved to Monday. Yeah, nice. Monday at 7, 7 p.m. You could check Walt out, our MLB analyst, um, for in the pen. And then the plug there for uh, uh, Saturday mornings for Transfer Portal podcast. The plug. <laughs> Always get up early with your cup of coffee to watch that. I know James was live at 930 this morning recapping the Stanley Cup. So. Hey, there you go. Yeah, get, you know, got to get that in. Uh, got to change it up around, you know, spice That's it up right. a little bit. Stamkos was drinking out of the cup this morning, too. Yes, he was. Chugging the beers, yeah. <laughs> James and Kyle are a couple, uh, you know, not sorry, but a couple Down Islanders fans right now. So, oh, you know, it's all right. It's all good. That's right. I got my Yankees in my heat. Uh, I love that Tyler Hero jersey. We'll talk about it in a minute, but there, I'm, I'm repping go, my baby pice. blues over here. My <laughs> baby blues over here. <laughs> yeah, it's disappointing to see uh, them take out the Bucks. But anyway, um, a lot of people thought there was going to be a downfall with New England this year, but I didn't see it. I think the question more is, what's the uptick with Buffalo going to be, right? I think Josh Allen through three weeks is putting up MVP numbers, but sticking with the Patriots, they have a huge matchup this weekend against Kansas City. I spoke to Fonz about this last week when we were previewing the Ravens and the Chiefs. He was somewhat confident that the Ravens would take it, but mainly because of the way Kansas City played in week two. Where do you guys stand with the Patriots heading into Arrowhead this weekend. Uh, what should their mindset be heading into this game? And you guys have any uh, predictions? Kearns, you want to, you want to start? Uh, yeah, I'll start it off here. Um, going against the Chiefs, I don't think we have – I don't think we match up as well as we used to with the Chiefs. I think it's going to be a lot – I think it's going to be a surprising game. I think we're going to do a lot better than a lot of people are going to give us credit for. I think a lot of people are going to be looking at this game as a blowout. But based on the way that we played Seattle, I think we're going to stay in it. But I, I have a feeling it's going to be one of those games where the, the score is close, but it also at the same time doesn't feel like the game is close. You know what I mean? 
where the entire time it's just going to be the Chiefs are going to be winning. They're going to keep a lead, but I think we'll be right there nipping at their heels the entire game. And I think it's just that we're not, I just don't think I, I, and again, we've only, we've only seen it really once with the Raiders game, but I don't think we're there as a complete team yet to make that successful two minute drive. I think we still have a lot of growing to do as a team, which is fair, you know, new QB, um, a whole lot of new systems, especially, you know, a lot of players missing from that defense is going to be tough against uh, Kansas City team. But like I said, I think it's going to be a close game, but I think it's also going to be a very, very bad feeling of KC is still going to win this game. Yeah, you know, I mean, we thought that this was going to be a recap of the Rams and Chiefs game um, for the Monday night game. You know, remember that game a couple of years ago? Just an, so much offense, so fun to watch, turnovers left and right. Yeah. They were going head to head, and I think we were all hoping for that. And then Fonz's Baltimore Ravens come out and just lay a turd on the on the on the field, <laughs> <laughs> and it it just makes it like for me. I was hoping that they'd beat each other up, so when we get to play, we'd have a really tired Kansas City. Yeah, Chiefs maybe fan. tire them out. Maybe maybe a couple players get like not not hurt hurt, but you know, yeah, a little bit up a little bit. Yeah, unfortunately, that <laughs> didn't happen, and, and we really got to see a preview. I honestly, I think this was a revenge game for Pat Mahomes. He was so mad that he was voted number four on the top 100. He did the celebration where he counted his yep. girlfriend or fiance. Um, she had the, the tweet about it. So I think this was a revenge game to show that they're still the top dogs in the league. And I, I really, I think we saw the chiefs at some of their best football um, when they played that game. And, and I agree with, with Kearns here. I think that Patriots, you know, like I was saying a little bit earlier, the Patriots still need a little work. They still got to tighten some things up. But on top of that, you know, they, they, I don't. We haven't seen them in a high pressure situation. I know Seattle was one of those games, but it, it just didn't have the feel of like, can they do it? Can Cam Newton come back? Can we get this done? I, I hope we can see something like that in Kansas City. It's going to be a true testament to the real willpower of Cam Newton, how he can lead this team. When I sit here and I look at you know at a prediction standpoint. I really like Kansas City. I, they have everything to go for another Super Bowl run. Pat Mahomes is still one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best. And I say that because I'm a big Russell Wilson fan. I love what I'm seeing out of Russell Wilson and the Seahawks this year. Um, it, it's just you know their defense still has some holes. And when you look at the air attack of, of Baltimore, you're never blown away. Marquise Brown, we haven't seen a lot from. There's, there's a high ceiling. Mark Andrews is a guy, but they managed to shut him down. Other than that, you're, you're going against Willie Sneed. <laughs> it's, it's nothing that's going to blow you off the paper. Their run attack, which they had success with, but Kansas City was okay with it because they're just going to take the top off with Kelsey, with Hill, with McCole Hardman, Sammy Watkins, you know, D-Rob, some of these other guys. They're, they're going to, you know, you can run the football all you want. We're just going to outscore you. You know, it's kind of like in the NBA. You know, you have guys like, okay, you can drive the lane all you want. We're just going to go back and bang a three like the Golden State Warriors. I, the Kansas City Chiefs have a similar offense where, you know, the best way it, to beat you is just we're going to score more points than you. And that sounds like a no brainer, but who cares if our defense isn't good? We're just going to, you know, find ways to get Tyreek Hill wide open and score a touchdown in a matter of two minutes and eight seconds. That's just what the Kansas City Chiefs are built. So Bill Belichick is going to be ready. The Patriots are going to be ready. I don't know if it's going to be a close game or, or down to the wire, but I'd love to see some fight out of this team. I have no expectations. I do expect the Kansas city chiefs to win this. Cause I don't think that the Patriots are there yet. I would like to see them mature as the season goes on, but I, I, I do want them to put up a fight. And I think that they will like Kern said, I think that it's going to be a lot closer than people think, but I don't still don't think it's going to be like down to the wire at the very end of it. 
Um, you know, Kansas City, they're just way too loaded. Their defense is playing extremely well. They did awesome against Baltimore. Granted, you know, I the, the air attack of Baltimore is not that impressive. They did manage to contain the run game as much as they could, um, and they managed to slow down one of the highest-powered offenses last year. So to see them do it again this year, um, especially because the Ravens started out hot, you know, it wasn't like they were a pushover team. They're going to they're gonna be ready for New England. Um, it's going to be a great hard – I think that this game is going to be a lot more intense and closer like we were hoping that Ravens-Chiefs game was. Um, but it, it would just be nice to see the Patriots put up a fight. I still have the Chiefs winning this game by probably about two touchdowns. That's pretty. That's pretty big right there. I mean, I think. Um, by the way, I'm pretty sure Fonz just commented this. I think that was him on our account by accident. <laughs> um, pretty sure he meant. <laughs> seems like somebody would say, you know. <laughs> um, and then Kevin O'Brien says, "Bench Sammy Watkins." So. I'm assuming Gilmore is going to be matched up against Hill. Wouldn't that leave, uh, wouldn't leave JC Jackson or. I actually uh, feel like um, uh, J- Jason McCordy, one of our faster backs will probably stay on Tyreek Hill that game. Um, just cause I don't know if Gilmore has the gas to be able to keep up with a guy like Hill. I know that he'll have a great matchup with him on the line, but as soon as Hill gets one or two steps on you, it's game over. I'd like to see Jason McCordy lined up on Hill and I'd like to see them put um, Stephon Gilmore and a guy like Sammy Watkins and maybe put JC Jackson on McCole Hardman. Um, I think that would be a more favorable matchup, but I wouldn't be surprised if you would see Gilmore lined up on Kelsey with McCordy over the top to protect. That's a good point. Um, Kyle and James, you guys have anything else on this game before we, uh, no, I think, I think you guys analyzed the hell out of it. Uh, really just a, a good analyzation over, of this game, I think it's going to be the game of the week. I think it's going to be a lot more competitive because even though this Chiefs defense has the stud players, they still have tended to give up numerous amounts of points. Baltimore was really the first team this season in which they really shut down. I mean, the Chargers, they were literally uh, uh, a qualified non-rookie quarterback starter away from losing that game uh, back in L.A. in week two. They shut down Lamar Jackson, but I don't know a lot of teams, I don't know how you're going to shut down Cam Newton. You know, I go back to my statement earlier and saying, week in and week out, you don't know what system Bill Belichick is going to throw at you. Who's going to be the guy that they're going to target this week? He's going to be Julian Edelman. Is Nikhil Harry going to get, have the game of his life, the game of his career, his real walk-on game this week? You know, is it going to be Bird? Is he going to be the guy to step up? Or is Harris going to get some touches in the backfield? Is Michelle going to be the starting running back again? Is Rex Burkhead going to continue to be that dump route type of player where he gets – multiple touchdowns, multiple yards, or is Cam Newton going to go back to running the ball on every single play just to get that first down? And I think that's going to be difficult for the Chiefs, especially Steve Spagnuolo, even though he has a surplus and plethora of fantastic players, that's going to be a difficult task to achieve, not really knowing what the game plan is for this Patriots offense. Well, we know that. I mean, we're very familiar with Spags. So are the Patriots. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) Brings up some... uh, Great memories there. But, um, guys, any t- fits and kerns here um, with me, James, and Kyle tonight here on Raven Preview? Thank you guys much again. Um, any Thanks for having us, man. No problem. I actually have two more questions for you guys. Who are your top waiver wire pickups for week four? Um, my, t- I mean, I think Justin Jefferson is a guy that everyone wants to target. Um, you know, high draft pick, first round pick for the Minnesota Vikings. They ship Steph on digs off to Buffalo. Um, and then they managed to go and get, grab a guy like uh, Jefferson with that pick. 
So, you know, they, they, they found somebody that they wanted a, a big play guy. You know, he was phenomenal for LSU last year. He steps in now and finds the digs role. This offense is looking completely flat. They've been looking, you know, the defense has been awful. Kirk cousins hasn't looked sharp. They finally put together, um, you know, a great game, although it wasn't enough to win, but Justin Jefferson, seven catches on nine targets. I mean, this is a dude that you could probably start in your flex and wide receiver three position and see if he's going to continue to progress or if that was just a flash in the pan of what he could do. But either way, that's a guy I'm going after. Um, tight end position. Somebody I, tar- I tried to target was Mo Alley Cox from the Indianapolis Colts. Um, that, you know, they've, they've been using Eric Ebron last year for that athletic tight end role. And when you look at Philip Rivers progression, he's always had a guy like Antonio Gates. He brought, you know, they brought in Hunter Henry after that. He likes throwing to these big bodied athletic tight ends. Jack Doyle isn't really the most athletic guy in the field. He's more of a big body that can go up and get a, a touchdown pass or a catch. But, um, Mo Alley Cox is a guy that could go out there and put up some pretty solid numbers. He had a great game two weeks ago, touchdown last week. That's a guy I'm targeting. Um, if Darrell Henderson is still available, I'm not sure if he even is in a lot of your leagues. He's a guy I'd be targeting for the LA Rams. Um, you know, Cam Akers is still injured. Uh, they're still trying to work things out with some of the other guys. Darrell Henderson looks like he's the lead back right now. I know Malcolm Brown had a flash in the pan a couple weeks ago. He's somebody I'd be targeting. Um, and then Jeff Wilson Jr. for the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, you can plug and play this zone run scheme that Kyle Shanahan runs. You can plug and play almost anybody in there. So we saw, you know, Jarek McKinnon has done good. We've seen Tevin Coleman in the past. Obviously, Raheem Mostert, the lead back there. I think Jeff Wilson Jr. is a guy that can change the pace for the 49ers. And now that they're working in Mullins, who looks like he might be getting another start this week um, with Jimmy Garoppolo, not really where they want him to be right now. They're getting Debo Samuel back. I'm not sure how much he's going to play. George Kittle stepped in the field. This is going to open up the offense a lot more. And what does Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan love doing? It's running the football. You now have Jarek McKinnon and Jeff Wilson at a one-two punch. Wilson's another guy that I'd love to go out there and target as well. Wow, it's dude, it's like you're on a fantasy show or something. That's crazy, bro. <laughs> um, well, I, I won't be able to give as much info, but two guys that I've had on my bench of fantasy uh, who I think could be good targets if they're still available. One guy who should be available in most leagues is actually from the Bears, Anthony Miller. Yes. He is he's he doesn't get a lot of targets, but he is a big play threat. Um, you know, he, he had a couple of big plays for the bears so far, Foles like throwing to him. Yeah. Obviously, you know, game. the bears passing game can be a little bit shaky because you know, they have Foles and Trubisky. How, how worse could it be? But, uh, I, I like him. He's put up good points. He didn't play against the giants, but in the two games he has played, he's put up some good points. And again, he, he's just, he's a big threat target. Um, so if he's available, he should be available in a lot of leagues. So go pick him up. He's great for a flex spot, maybe wide receiver three if possible. Um, but another guy too, who's not really as big of a sleeper name, but a guy who I think a lot of people are giving up on and, have maybe started to push towards the bench, maybe towards flex, towards the bench, and even started to release is Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I think that he's been slow getting used to, you know, picking up stuff with the Saints. Obviously, Drew Brees is taking a step back as well. But I do think that Sanders is a guy who could really fit in with the Saints very well. And I think that if he can kind of find his footing, he'll be a solid contributor. Again, another good, solid, maybe even wide receiver too if he's, um, if he's producing well enough, obviously next to Michael Thomas is pretty tough and, you know, with Alan Kamara, but I, I mean, Drew Brees a, can't throw the football over 10 yeah, yards. Drew, Brees, Drew Brees is having some trouble right now, but I think if Emmanuel Sanders can really start to find his niche in New Orleans, he might be a good pickup for a flex or wide receiver three. That's a good point you bring up. Uh, definitely. I agree. I think Jarek McKinnon, Alan Lazard too. I know yes. Ali Cox was impressive. Um, 
I say McKinnon because that Frisco offensive line is just fantastic. But <laughs> Kyle's sitting there three and zero right now in the top right corner. I know you're doing pretty hey. good. Here, though, <laughs> My running back core is is a mess right now. I I well, thought Christian. Well, I thought Christian McCaffrey would be enough, and you know that three and zero it saved me, but that put me in the hole a little bit. Antonio Gibson and Miles Gaskin is what I'm running this week. Hey, right. that's what I'm running this week. Miles Gaskin. Uh, here's a fun fact for you for Miles Gaskin. He leads the entire league in usage. Yeah, been on the field the most out of any starting running back. That's crazy. That's crazy. So yeah. Miles Gaskin's a true workhorse right now. I feel comfortable starting him. I feel comfortable too. I'm a, I'm just more comfortable just based on my receivers that I have. Uh, very fortunate to have picked Diggs, Ridley, Julian Edelman, and um, who's my other receiver? Damn. Uh, oh well, now the Chris one Godwin's you beat hurt. me with two weeks and ago. Now, the one I beat you. Who was that? Can't remember his name. Oh, Calvin Ridley putting up thirty for Calvin me. Calvin Ridley is a savant right now. Yep. 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 A solid receiving core that day. That is a very good receiving core. Yeah. Three and zero. Oh. <laughs> um, I also think Young Ho Ku, the kicker for the Falcons, is a guy you got to look at too. He's been nice. Um, yes, he's been really good. And then Kyle, I, as well. Kaskowski, yeah, clutch, putting up some points. Six. Well, I know week one he struggled, but um, yeah, yeah, week one was past bad. two weeks. He's bounced back for him. Carlos Hyde, another guy potentially if Chris Carson doesn't play. I know he's questionable. Carlos Hyde could get a lot of those snaps. I actually just got a notification on Carlos Hyde. Let me try to find it here. Um, Good sign for Seahawks running back uh, Chris Carson that uh, he practiced despite a slight knee strain. He still has a good chance to play this week. So even then, you know, Carlos Hyde, they'll probably lean off of Chris Carson a little bit. That that tackle was was very dirty by Tristan Hill and the Cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Last question for you guys. I know it's already started. Who do you guys got? NBA Finals, Miami Heat, LA Curry, Lakers. You. Uh, I'd like to uh, address. Uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure you guys were live, so you wouldn't be able to see it. But uh, I would like to address. We did a hot take. We have a hot take board on buckets that we frequently update. And uh, my hot Let's take. See if I can right show there. you guys this board. Yeah, show show that. Show what that says. Uh, show that the man on my back, Tyler Harrow. He's going to lead the Heat to a 4-0 sweep of the Lakers and win finals. 4-0 sweep. I love <laughs> it. Incredible. 4-0 sweep. Ball, I love it. Watch it. It is 2020, guys. Look at it. Yeah, it's 2020. Anything's you possible. Know. You never know. <laughs> I wish I had the confidence to run with a pick like that. I love the Heat in this series, but 4-0, that's – oh, man. What that would do to LeBron's legacy, a 4-0 sweep. Justin's going to dye his hair um, teal if that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Bet. Watch. <laughs> Rooster, I think you should do the same thing. Listen, if, if the Miami Heat win, if they win, listen, if they win 4-0, I'll, I'll dye my hair baby blue like the jersey on your back right there. Oh. I'll dye it baby blue if they win 4-0. But I'd be very, very pleased to see them eat this. Uh, if they go 4-0, that- I'll dye it. I'll do, I'll do the baby blue on one side and the hot pink on the other jersey on the other Ooh. side. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Nice. <laughs> Kevin's uh, beard. You guys won't be a fan of this. <laughs> what, do you, what do you got for me, Thomas? Uh, Kevin O'Brien says Caruso over Hero. Oh, what a hater. Oh, hater. 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 So, uh, Thomas, I actually have a question for you. <laughs> yep. What do you think about the Giants' offense? I mean, they were playing <laughs> in almost an IR team. Or maybe the, the lack thereof. Uh, they were placing an IR team for the 49ers. Right. I've been big on Daniel Jones. Love Darius Slayton. Obviously, Saquon's a big hit. Sterling Shepard's a big hit. Big Evan Ingram guy. I know they have a lot of weapons on the offensive line that are you know coming in brand new, especially off uh, Andrew Thomas. 
What, what, what do you got for me for the Giants? So me and Kyle go toe-to-toe about this every single week about the Giants. We would both agree with everything, but we just go about everything so differently. It's complete contrast. So my take on this offense is this, right? Everyone is very young. So the difference between Daniel Jones and Eli Manning, because a lot of people are comparing them to, and I personally do not like that at all, because at least when Eli was young, he had veterans around him, Mm. and a lot of those guys were draft picks. You look at the Giants' offense now, it's Devontae Freeman, it's the Golden Tates. Uh, Yeah, they drafted Darius Slayton, but my issue right now is that the offensive line is not what it used to be, and you have a lot of young guys for example Cameron Fleming who was a former Patriot by the way that did not like that signing um Andrew Thomas left tackle Kyle Russo brought up a stat earlier he was the lowest rated uh, he, he is allowed the most he has allowed the most QB pressures besides Bobby Hart who was a former Giants offensive lineman <laughs> so far this season um and he's he's the fourth rated offensive lineman behind Mekhi Becton Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills so far this season Yet he was the first offensive tackle taken off the board. Uh-huh. But um, you, know who, you know who was the um, the fir- the who you know who's the number one tackle for QB pressures to uh, allow the least amount? Oh, oh, it's uh, oh shit, Isaiah Wynn from the New England Patriots. Really, <laughs> he hasn't let up one single QB pressure all season. I, I think uh, I think I posted that on our Instagram. The other great player out of Georgia I think it was I think I saw it from you guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I might have <laughs> really. Guys, interesting. That's crazy. Um, but back to the Giants, quick fits. Um, so realistically, right? Evan Ingram has been—he's one of the most overrated tight ends in the NFL. And now the Giants are in a screwed situation because they picked up his fifth-year tender. Yes. And Sterling Shepard is a guy who can never stay healthy. Even before Barkley and Shepard got hurt, the Giants' offense was still shit. If I'm being honest with you. It's, in my opinion, it's the second worst offense in the NFL right now, only better than the Jets. But the talent is there. The, the, the talent is there because of all these guys that they have. But they can't, they can't score in the red zone. Jason Garrett, it's a new offensive coordinator. We spoke to Lance Meadow right before the season started, Kyle and I. And the, this whole no preseason thing and the new coaching staff, it's a big part of the reason why this offense is really bad. But um, you know, hopefully it gets better over the next couple of weeks. I think it's a combination of the defenses they've gone up against and the youth that they have in that offensive line. And Daniel Jones has to limit his turnovers. You know, I've said it time and time again. He has potential in a couple of years from now to be like a top 12, maybe 10 quarterback. I don't know if that's a stretch, but he's in a better position than guys like Darnold and Trubisky, guys like that. But I think personally – this is the first coach the Giants have had that's going to be here um, for a while and quite some time. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Thank you for Coach Judge, by the way. Great, excellent talent. Phenomenal. I was so mad when Judge – I mean, they said that when Bill Belichick was in the room, this dude was leading the charge. There was – you know, he was making p- players and coaches run um, laps around yeah. the – I mean, you don't, you don't see NFL coaches doing that anymore. We haven't yeah. seen that in years. And nope. so – Judge, he's bringing a lot of the New England Patriots over there. I think him Nate and Ebner. Yep, Nate Ebner. He, he's doing a, him and Flores are doing a lot to reiterate what Bill Belichick has laid. I don't know so much about Matt Patricia. No, he's. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he's, I don't think he got the memo. I don't think he. Got I, don't think, I don't think he got that. I think he missed it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, I forgot what sport he's coaching. 
Yeah. Um, but back to Kearns, I have the Heat winning in seven. I have the Heat, heat winning in seven. And I love to hear it. Um, I mean, yeah. It's it's so tough. I mean, we talked about it a lot earlier. It's so tough. I mean, the Lakers, LeBron James and AD, that combination of those two guys are so good. And if those role players step up, that team could be ridiculously good. But that Heat team, man, they just don't quit. That Heat team does not want to quit. That Heat team just – they're such a they, – they remind me a lot, actually, of the grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies. Remind me a lot of that team. Like but the I think Mike Conley, Mike the Conley, Marcus Saul, like Rudy Gay, Zebo. Yeah, that that Memphis Grizzlies team that made some pretty Cinderella like runs in the Western Conference. They they remind me of that team a lot, but I think they're a little bit better than that team. I think you know with a guy like Bam, who's still incredibly young, incredibly talented guy, has Bam so much potential. Else. Jimmy, who's found his Jimmy Butler, finally found like this is his place. He should stay with Miami for the rest of his career. Tyler Harrow, who's just a bucket. Absolute bucket, Duncan Robinson, who literally only can shoot threes, but he's so goddamn good and at you it. Can't you can't forget the, on the floor. The best Miami Heat player, Jay Crowder, Kelly Olynyk. No. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Jay. Crowder. And you have Goran Dragic, who will just drop thirty out of nowhere. Literally so thirty piece show. from Gorgon Dragic. Yeah, yeah, right. You're getting thirty piece by some dude who's like six feet tall. <laughs> like he, I don't even know. Like I, he does not look like a basketball player, but goddamn, <laughs> he can score. Yeah. Um, any other predictions, Kyle? I know you're the Miami Heat fan here, so you know what, it, man. When this year started off, and obviously uh, Kearns is your caught between the crosshairs, repping the Tyler Hero jersey, but we got Kobe hanging up in the rafters behind you. Yeah, uh, I, I, I wanted, I wanted the, I wanted the fairy tale to come true. I wanted the Lakers to win for that sole purpose. I wanted them to win and take it home. Oh yeah, one hundred. And then. And then my heat got faced up against them. And I'm, I'm caught in a <laughs> rock like, oh, in a hard place. Yeah, I'm get, caught in a rock in a hard place right now. And the, the thing that I love about these ser- this series is it has so many storylines from each individual player yeah. that I don't think I've seen with any other NBA finals before. I'm going to roll with the heat. I'm going to roll with the heat, but it's going to, it's got to go seven. It's got to go seven. It's going to, I think it's going to be an epic series. I mean, I, I think the heat lead right now by 10. Already, yeah, you're just looking it up. They're they're up by uh, 11 when I saw 23 yeah. 12. They were up. Let's uh, let's not forget Andre Iguodala. Yes. He won a Finals MVP for his defense on LeBron. The Kingslayer. The Kingslayer. Yeah. He's been in the last six. Yeah, he hasn't missed. So. It's but, crazy. Uh, so he's yeah. been to six and he's won them all. LeBron's been to nine and he's won one two. No, only three. Sorry. Stop. <laughs> By the way, I didn't, I didn't actually – I didn't tell you guys. I'm drinking a protein shake oh, out of my ass. Oh, hey. The JDF ice shaker. shaker. Yeah. Let's go. I love it. I don't have much. I wasn't prepared for it. Wow. You are so bad. <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> but, guys, um, thanks again for coming on tonight. Really appreciate it. Figure we'd wrap this up now. But um, just so for those of uh, – these folks who will be watching the show later on tonight, I'm going to put up the graphic for you guys here. JDF sports. That is their logo. Um, go give them a follow, Ooh. like, and subscribe to their podcast as well. I know uh, Fonz will actually be live tomorrow with, um, with four corners with Mike DeSanto. So that's always a fun show to watch as well. Get your wrestling talk and uh, looking forward. You know, I really last year, I didn't get to watch, um, much of your stuff, but now that all this working from home and everything from NBC, just watching your show Sunday morning, fantasy egos, man, it helps me. Who's in, who's out? It's kind of 
it's kind of a good uh, bridge between uh, by the time I wake up and those one o'clock games. So really appreciate that. Hey, I appreciate you, Tom, James, Kyle. Thank you guys for having us. And I mean, everyone watching right now, you're going to want to follow review and preview. These guys, they throw their hat in the ring. They're on live all the time. They're putting together great shows. They're building a network over here. They've got a lineup. They've got a bunch of great guys that know what they're talking about. The content you guys are pumping is amazing. So definitely make sure you guys are following review and preview before you follow JDS Sports because this is the place. (laughs) Appreciate that, bro. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, Thanks, guys. I mean, this is my formal invitation for you guys to come on the Fitz Lounge some Sunday morning if you guys are around. Totally. Take you up on that all. Open to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's set that up because I'd love to have you guys. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle, if the Heat win, I'll have you on buckets. You got to talk about the Heat if they win. Listen, I'll talk about them. I'll lose. I'll talk about them. they lose. I want to talk about some Heat. I also got to talk to um, what's yeah. name? Uh, Tyrell about the Giants too. Yeah, I know he's a big Giants fan. You, we can do a little Giant show, a little collab with review and preview, and then James, let's have you on with uh, our guys from Puck Off. Um, yeah. And let them come on, and uh, you 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 can join the show, and you'll talk some uh, some hockey Whoa, with them. Who is? Hold on, hold on. They're completely who's, open to who's it. This guy commenting Xavier right here. Oh, get this guy off the screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we will have you on. We there. It's a Bruins fan and uh, a Nashville Predators fan. So oh, come nice. on, some Islanders. Oh, yeah, we'll get you guys them. in JDF too. It'd be great. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. Have a good night. Thank you, Thanks guys. Have, have a good on, one. No so, problem. Uh, have a good one. All right, that was um, Kevin Fitz and Justin Kearns. James, Kyle, uh, we've approached the three-hour mark. I think it's time to say our goodbyes. And um, any, any final thoughts on the show here tonight? It was a long one. That was a good one, though. It was, it was a good, good one. one. Had some great content. Uh, nice little touch at the end, having Fitz and Kearns on. Some great insights, some great talk, as always. On behalf of James Montefusco and Kyle Russo, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, saying so long. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Good night, everybody.